Hi guys, welcome to Let's Look Back, episode 15. I'm Ooh, really excited yeah. for this one. I, uh, what's that? Oh, uh, actually, I invited some guys over to the studio to record with us. Is that? Oh, yeah, our, our nice padded studio with all the furniture and Yeah, I know we didn't, we didn't rig up any extra mics, but we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. Uh, Alright, cool. But yeah, yeah, super cool guys, you... Uh, You'll love them, so let me tell you about them. They walk you through the ins and outs of obscure topics while also performing a variety of impressive impressions and overusing the word kayfabe. Please welcome from sunny Los Angeles, Andrew almost joined a pyramid scheme, Price and Dave just started wearing hats, Baker. <laughs> All right, so yeah, welcome to the show. <laughs> Uh, Welcome to the show, guys. Andrew and Dave from the De- from Deep Cuts podcast. Yep. Hello. So excited <laughs> to have you here. I, I can tell my expression. I, I, I almost <laughs> spit out that water that I was just drinking. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Intro. You guys that was great. for that. Yeah. That was great. Uh, um, Noah said that to me maybe, uh, I think, two or three days ago, and I was crying. So I'm glad you guys liked it. <laughs> I want, I want, I really want to say someone. kayfabe so much. I know, I want, like, if you guys so have a subreddit, like, I know. I don't could... mean in the podcast, I mean just in real life. We say kayfabe <laughs> so much. Real, thank it's you. so <laughs> spot on. Yeah. If you guys had, like, a subreddit, I would imagine someone would have a kayfabe counter of how many times you guys have said that word. Because yeah, it is a hundred percent. I literally didn't know what that word was till I listened to the show, and I had to learn pretty quick. And then I was like, "Oh, oh, I love this." <laughs> did we ever? Did we ever explain it, or did you? Have no, to I was just like Google. What is kayfabe? And then I was like, "Oh, this makes so much sense. It's like yeah. in it originated in wrestling, and it's like the character, just like yeah, it's the art, uh, the art of pretending something is real." Yeah. yeah. Pretty sick. And also, nobody nobody knows where the, where the word came from either. That's that's the interesting thing Ooh, about, about it. There is K- yeah, like, it sounds, it sounds vaguely like pig Latin, but it's not. It's it's a really strange word. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, like you know, like you said, it comes from the early days of uh, professional wrestling, and you know, there's all kinds of weird carny speak and you know, shorthand. <laughs> I worked on a I worked on a wrestling TV show for I think two seasons, two and a half seasons, and. Uh, there was all kinds of weird slang like that that I picked up while working on the show, and because of that, I kind of forget that some people don't know wrestling <laughs> slang. I'm not even a huge wrestling person. Like I, you know, <laughs> know a little bit here and there and like some stuff, but um, like I remember once, uh, like my first day on the show, I was supposed to be carrying this something from point A to point B. And this giant behemoth of a man, like six five, four hundred pounds of muscle, comes running up to me and goes, "Where do I gorilla? Where do I gorilla?" <laughs> and I was like, "I don't, I don't know what gorilla means. I'm assuming that means like where do you prepare to go on because of context clues. <laughs> but honestly, I have no real idea. So I'm just gonna point that way and hope that that's correct." And that it's man like, died that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He was more worried about guerrilla warfare. He had other priorities. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned after the fact that that term comes from... Uh, you stopped the terrorist attack that day. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. I learned after the fact that, that that it is where, like, basically where do the wrestlers stand right before they go on. And it's called guerrilla-ing because of Gorilla Monsoon, who used to be a, a promoter. And he would, like, pick people to go on and and like so everybody would be like huddled around where he stood because he always stood at the same place off to like stage right or whatever and he'd be like all right you go in do the thing or whatever 
Um, yeah. Huh. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah. Now it's I like, know wrestling dialogue. Or, yeah, wrestling dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. We we discussed wrestling on one episode, and we were basically like, I don't know anything about wrestling. But yeah, we found completely foreign some clips that we were like, maybe we got to start watching wrestling. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Wrestling terminology is so much cooler than film set terminology. Yeah, I was just like, gonna say it's like, like when you I, work on a film and you like I forget hate people film, don't know ter- what that film means. set terminology. I hate using any of the words. <laughs> if I if if I'm gonna turn a light on, striking, like, I don't, striking. Yeah, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna say striking. I'm just gonna say, hey, I'm turning this light on. Don't look at it. Like that seems crossing. Like, I feel like it, yeah, points, <laughs> points, 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 doorway points. <laughs> I'm calling you out right now, film set. I'm gonna cut a promo right here. Film set industry, your terminology sucks. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Soundboard. There we go. (laughs) That's a character right there, like the 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 soundboard operator that just is way too delayed with all of his. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, guys. Let me. Talk talk amongst yourselves. Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) Um. No, I was literally gonna say that. I was like, it's like when you work on a film set and then you forget, like people don't know what you're saying. Like, oh, I got a ten one, and it's like. Yeah. <laughs> Talk like a normal person. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. Uh, film student jokes. What's up? Um, okay. So thank you guys for coming on the show. You guys yeah, basically. Thank you. Uh, I'm a huge fan of your guys' show. And basically your show, we, we are basically, as we said, uh, we were talking earlier, we're like the dollar store version of you guys. You have this great chemistry you research things very well we do not research things at all you guys talk about actually interesting things we just we just find random nostalgic crap and talk about it but yeah so what basically what is deep cuts like what's your guys show about well first of all i'd like to say that i'm very glad that people think that we have good chemistry because one of the one of the things I was really concerned about when we started doing the show, and we talked about it for a long time before we started, was this idea of, like, do we need a third person? And we we kicked around the idea for a while because I was kind of concerned. I don't know if Dave was, but I was kind of concerned because we're basically the same person. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of differences. Like, I'm, I'm much more introverted. I obviously have, like, a much deeper voice. I'm a much more laid-back person. Dave is, like, very hype, like, very energetic and and enthusiastic and and you know we have a, a similar uh we have a difference in a in personality in that way but aside from that like on paper we're just the same guy like he's from tucson arizona i'm from new mexico uh, roswell new mexico like we we like we're, we're just the same person on paper and we ha- we have like a lot of very same opinions about things so I was really concerned that the show was just going to be boring because it was just yeah. going to be like two of the same person like agreeing with each other. Uh, so yeah, I, I I mean there's no joke there. I'm just glad that we're, people think that we're we're similar because we've been friends for like five years uh, and we have like the exact same sense of humor, like a lot of the same stuff. So that was also like a little concerned, but we're like ah, I mean it's just us talking like. Uh, and we were we were like we're, we're just making this for our friends and what makes me happy is when like our friends message me they're like i love listening to your show because it's just like sitting in on a conversation yeah. with you guys <clears throat> and that's also what i like about your show is it is highly produced and you guys do research your topics very well but it's it's also you guys are just genuinely yourselves talking about these things which i really i really fuck with the vibe um one could say 
Yeah, well, and I think it's it's especially nice when you guys are so in on a topic, but then one sentence and you're veering off into some other conversation for like 10 minutes about or something. Or 15, 15 minutes of me talking about Paul Lynn's Halloween special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, are you, or are you like laughing, stumbling through a line? Like it's just a serious read and then all of a sudden you're just like <laughs> laughing, can't get through the line. Yeah, that's, that's actually, that. that's really... That's really purposeful uh, from an editing standpoint on my part. I mean, I, don't give away I'm, the kayfabe. Yeah, what I mean, are you doing? <laughs> I, I was literally. This is how much we say kayfabe because I literally was going to say maybe I'm giving up the kayfabe. I was literally going to say that. Um, but but from the beginning, from from episode one. I mean, if you listen to the first episode, the Stratemeyer Syndicate, like it literally starts on this like very high produced um, intro. The, you know, the usual intro we do. And Dave goes into the. This is the. This is episode one of our podcast. He goes into uh, the, the the sort of preamble for what the episode's about, and then he stumbles and he messes up the line. And I leave that in, and I cut the music, and then we have this little like, oh, we fucked up or whatever. And then we we cut right back into the music and go on with the episode. And I made that stylistic choice from the very beginning um, that I really like this idea of. Uh, going back to kayfabe or just that discussion, uh, I really like this idea of having this kayfabe or having this sort of produced presentation, but then like showing the cracks in it Peeling and back kind of curtain. like let, yeah, letting things peek through every once in a while that are just kind of revealing like, oh no, this is all fake. Like I, I really like that. And maybe that's why we love the Andrew WK thing so much is because it's sort of that at this grand scale. But mm-hmm. I've always really been into that concept since I was, younger like making short films and things like that like we used to like purposely put in like continuity errors and things like that because i i really just loved this idea of making this like crafted um narrative or fictional world and then uh like allowing allowing inconsistencies to peek through and i think that's probably comes from my love of like really terribly made movies you know that i watched when i was young where you where, where those those continuity errors and those inconsistencies were not purposeful. They were sort of done in in a in a genuine act of trying to make something good and just failing to to do that. Uh, so so that that's sort of that's a very purposeful part of the presentation of the show. I, like I mean, it. it also it also just helps us to like on a metatextual level when we get a research because you know like Andrew said our show is very well produced and well edited, which is all him. And you know I write. A good number of the scripts and uh you know sometimes you get things wrong sometimes you misspeak sometimes you state say things as fact when they're they're not and allowing those little like flubs and and outs kind of takes the pressure off it because it makes it feel a little bit more human and imperfect so when we do make a mistake it's less like i can't believe you betrayed our journalistic faith in you and more yeah. oh yeah it's of course you you just got that wrong because everybody's going to get something wrong at some point yeah. yeah, well, it's nice because it kind of separates you guys from having, you know, like there are a lot of true crime podcasts that they have to like kind of keep this theme and it feels very much uh, like someone's narrating a book. And you guys having kind of cracks in the mold and kind of being able to break from your formula, it really just, it works really well, I think. We, I think you definitely... We kind of strive for the same thing because, like I said, we barely research our topics and we don't act like we do kind of the fun of it is like discovering things together or discovering things live. We look up 
things on Wikipedia because we don't really care if it's true because sometimes the crazier shit is funnier when it, when it's not true. Like if like if you find out oh that that didn't really happen, it's like way less fun. So I I I like that. Um, but yeah, talking about you guys' research, where do you come up? Like where do you find these topics? These are like such specific things and do you have some secret special database like how do you find all this information uh i think the answer to that is very simple um i am an exceedingly interesting and genius level person who only cares about things that are rapturously fascinating <laughs> there you go <laughs> no it's just honestly it's just like andrew and i shooting the shit and then being like, hey, remember that one time when that one thing? That's exactly like, us, yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's one of us will say something about like, you know, I heard, I remember one time that I feel like we were talking about like a Lucio Fulci movie and, and like, didn't he kill somebody with a car? Like, that would be kind of cool to do an episode on. Uh, I made yeah, that up. It's... I don't think Lucio Fulci killed anybody, but you know what I mean? Like, those, it's just, it just kind of happens and then we just keep like a running tally of weird, interesting things. And to, Going back to what Andrew had said, we have very shared common interests where we're both we're both interested in the the, com- the common common intersections between uh, commercial viability and artistic intent. We're both inter- interested in um, the idea of creative authorship. We're both interested in like a cult of persona and cultivating a persona and this kayfabe you know thing that we've been discussing this whole time. Also, I'm now realizing that I don't know if we actually did summarize what the show is the show <laughs> it's called no. well, Cuts. well in, a, in a meta way you kind of did because you, you just you just well no, well you just rambled you'd started talking then you just rambled on and then now we're circling back that is yeah, the show so, in a nutshell yeah the, the 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 intro that i say at the beginning of every show is uh Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick an obscure topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. And I feel like that pretty much sums it up. It's just kind of like, would you be at a party and be like, did you know that Stan Lee was sexually bribed to I mean, do all of his conventions? You did it. You taught that yeah. barbecue or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I, like, I told you at our like, social distance uh yard party i literally did that at my f- next social function i was like did you guys know andrew wk is like multiple people what's up with that <laughs> I, I i i literally i threw his mask too just <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah andrew wk adopted <laughs> I, I was born in the phone. Um, oh there there's one point when i was listening to you guys that i was like i wanted to scream through and talk to you because i wanted to point something out um you talk about dave you talk about this in several episodes you talk about the uh you love how creators whether it be authors or uh whatever have like a through line in their in their uh their work like one singular theme that just pops up over and over and over again whether they understand or not because they're obsessed and i'm like you guys do the same thing like you do it with that you do it with kayfabe you do it with this cult of personality and i was waiting for you to say wait we do that with the show but you didn't um but i think that's i think that's awesome that you guys because um I didn't know if it was like intentional or not, but you guys yeah, just it wasn't, covered... it wasn't really supposed to be that way. Uh, but it's really it, interesting how it yeah. all loops back into each other. 
Yeah, the, really the like idea it. was really just more generically really interesting stories in pop culture. Um, and I think I think we realized at some point that they're all just the thing I really like about the show because uh, I, I listen to I listen to a ton of podcasts. Like I am I you know for you know in the last sev- six or seven years, whether it's between like hour and a half commutes and you know spending spending like maybe five to six hours a day work listening to podcasts while I'm working on whatever you know whenever I'm able to like listen to something. Um, if I'm not doing something that doesn't allow me to listen to something, um, you know, I, I've, I've listened to just probably thousands of hours of, of podcasts and uh, like, I don't even really listen to music anymore. I just listen to podcasts. And so I have this like really extensive, uh, exposure to the format of podcasts and the, and the, the way that they're constructed and things like that. And another thing is that no matter how much I love a podcast, I always kind of eventually get burnt out on it mm-hmm. um, because a lot of podcasts, the idea po- behind podcasts is that they're sort of like hyper niche uh, explorations of this single idea. And that's kind of how you attract an audience is by, you know, you don't make a, you don't make a podcast that's like the pop culture podcast on this show. We talk about anything to do with pop culture because <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's too, that's too like broad. And it's it's just kind of the it's antithetical to how podcasts work, um, but but the the double edged sword of that is that after you've listened to like literally four hundred episodes of a show, you've you're finally just like I I'm just sick of this. I'm sick of the, the they they talk about the same thing, and no matter how interesting it is, it becomes a formula. And the thing that I really like about our show. And not that I don't think that maybe someday it could end up like that. I, I don't really know. Maybe maybe in like three years we'll have like sixty episodes that are just basically the JJ Arms episode over again. And there's <laughs> there's there's sixty other people with like prosthetic gun feet and th- like or I don't secret know spies. Um, but yeah. not really. Uh, but <clears throat> at least right now, I feel like our our show is this really cool hybrid where it's it has that definitive thing to it that makes it feel like it's like this is a deep cuts episode that's totally a deep cuts topic this is totally something we would do but they're and they all have that similarity in that very specific way but within uh, couched in that similarity these stories are all so kind of different that from episode to episode there's that anchor point that makes you want to listen to the show more and, and makes it feel like a cohesive thing but it has this variety where you never, at least so far, at least to me, um, doesn't feel. And maybe that, that maybe that's so short sighted to be saying like twenty episodes in, but it, it it doesn't feel like it has that like repetitive nature where eventually you know because like one of my favorite podcasts of all time is is last podcast on the left, uh, a, a true crime podcast, and I and I love it and you know if it wasn't for the personalities of those guys, the show would have gotten super old a long time ago because all of these stories that they talk about are all, they all kind of end up being the same thing. Like the, 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 the psychology behind serial killers is like, like uncannily same, the same across the board. Like every serial killer does it for the exact same reason. They all have the same motivation. They all have the same like life experiences and traumas. And it's really just the personalities that drive that show. And even then, 
600 episodes or whatever number that they're in at this point at this point it's just like ah like I, i'm getting a little i'm getting a little burnt out on this um so i so i like the way that that the, sh- the the episodes are all really different in what the actual stories are it's not like this is true crime we do a true crime podcast there's nothing specific about the nature of the stories but that one anchor point that you pointed out um makes it definitively a deep cuts show and makes it have that quality to it that makes people want to listen to it more and not just listen to one episode and kind of be done because none of the other episodes are up their alley or whatever yeah i think i I mean i think what you pointed out is how i view podcasts is yes the premise entices me but i really stay because i just like the personalities i like listening to people as a kid who like through my teens grew up on like youtube and and stuff i've just been attracted to personalities um and people who have great chemistry i don't really care what you're talking about because i just like that person and how their chemistry is so i think that works well with your guys podcast and everything um i what i also like um i'm i'm a pretty big comics uh nerd i like uh a lot of comics i've recently in the past year or so kind of transitioned into uh retransitioned from like my childhood getting into comic books and dave you like to bring in uh comic books a lot and you relate it to these extremely niche things that like i understand like i think like the first episode uh i listened to you said something that was really there you go there you go so it's something that was really like niche in comic books and i was just like uh hell yeah and uh, Andrew, you too. So you guys just have this like good chemistry and like this niche stuff that I immediately was like, oh yes, I fuck with this. So uh, Dave, I wanted to talk about talk to you about um, what's uh, what is fuck off squad. Uh, uh, t- t- <laughs> oh, 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 thanks for yeah. What is what is fuck off squad? That's what <laughs> all the people us. when we they when know. they come to me, that's what they ask. They ask what is fuck off squad. Uh, Fuck Off Squad is a coming-of-age romance comic about three skater kids in Los Angeles as they attempt to navigate the uh, morass of laziness and sloth that is your early 20s. Um, so it's a, it's a 120-page OGN written by me, illustrated by uh, Nicole Gu, the illustrator of DC's Shadow of the Batgirl. Um, available now wherever books are sold, but also maybe don't go where anywhere where books are sold because of the pandemic. Maybe them. just <laughs> get that shit on the internet. Just get that, get that <laughs> shit on the online. internet. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's published by Silver Sprocket um, and available wherever books are sold as well. Um, it is the book that Nicole and I basically, um, m- to be perfectly blunt, toured the world on. Like that was the first, like I've been publishing comics since I was about probably 17, 16, um, made a lot of really bad comics, made some okay comics and um, Fuck Off Squad, uh, probably because of the title alone, <laughs> uh, has been uh, very, very, it was received very well. And I'm eternally grateful for the connections and friendships that I've made from the book and the um, the process of making it um, was was pretty 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 cool it was all right you know sometimes when you're just like what if we made this thing and it starts as a little sketchbook drawing in nicole's journal and then you know six months later it's a thing and then now all of a sudden we're in fucking you know 
England at Thought Bubble selling comics to English kids. Like, that's pretty cool. That was awesome. That's really cool. (laughs) Another another project I saw, I was looking at your website. Another, we are both big Watchmen fans. We watched the new show. um, And he. What was that? I couldn't hear you. Sorry. Uh, we watched. Uh, we're big Watchmen fans. We just watched the new show on HBO. Oh, you cut out. You cut out after. Uh, <laughs> oh God, Dave. Something. I don't, don't know. Don't do this to them. <laughs> anyway, no. so you had. I, I knew you were doing a bit, but I was like, maybe he's not. I'll go. I'll go <laughs> along. I don't. I don't. No. Anyway, uh, so I'm only, f- I'm only familiar with the seminal comic created by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. I'm not familiar with any of the other. Yeah, that's things yeah, that people keep trying to shove in my face. I'm, I'm not. I don't. I'm not aware of them. The the HBO show. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The only way I would like is Alan Moore's name did, on it. I don't think that's real. <laughs> you don't see it anywhere. Odd. If if they had done a Watchmen show that was just like Damon Lindelof in his backyard like wearing costumes <laughs> running around on a little mini stage that's the only way i would acknowledge that they that they made another watchman thing otherwise that shit is stolen i don't care how good it is i have no interest in seeing that i get it i get as it a comics, i get as it as a comics creator i i totally understand your point of view i get it um, but the shit slaps. Um, but, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, but it's uh, only fucking amazing. But that, that's okay. It's no, good. but I saw on your website you have. Uh, can you explain what Shitty Watchmen is? Yeah, Shitty Watchmen is a group collaborative project that I organized. Um, it is a deconstruction of the most seminal deconstructionist text within comics. So it's me and uh, Nicole Gu and uh, like 10 other artists. Uh, and we all took one issue in Watchmen and we tried to redraw it as poorly as possible. I love um, that. To, the, goal, the goal being twofold. <laughs> one, because shitty drawings are really funny. And yeah. two, because Watchmen is so densely complex that most people attribute all of that complexity to Alan Moore, <clears throat> which is, Deservedly so, he's a, a, a brilliant writer and deserves credit for his work, but also most people don't acknowledge the compositional elements of the book and yeah, the details within the compositions that Dave Gibbons contributed to the work. And by reverse engineering the work back to its almost like embryonic thumbnail stage, um, you can evaluate if the work still communicates in that rough form. and. Um, you know, that's obviously in the eye of the beholder, but I, I personally think that even in its worst possible execution, Watchmen still communicates roughly what is going on. And I think that is a, an immensely uh, an immensely important element to the work that cannot be overstated. And, and the, the probably the main contributing factor to its longevity, um, <clears throat> because so much of comics and illustration typically is rooted in a specific style that becomes dated very quickly and Watchmen's approach to composition and specifically the way that Dave Gibbons organizes panels and presents hierarchical structures in terms of foreground and background or um, even just for uh, a figure to larger environment uh, relationships visually is just it's stunning like uh, for someone who doesn't necessarily make comics you might not know this but working on a nine panel grid is not only hard because there's not a lot of space, 
but humans are binocular, which means we like shapes that are horizontal, but in a nine panel grid, all of the shapes are um, vertical, which means that you're really, you're composing like three times on and then shrinking it down on top of itself, um, which is really, really, really difficult. And nobody ever gives Dave Gibbons any credit for that. So well, Shitty Watchmen was our kind of like, hey, look how amazing Dave Gibbons is. Watchmen <laughs> is so cool. That's yeah, I love that concept. And this uh, podcast episode is becoming exactly what I wanted, which is inside baseball on comics creation. So thank you very much <laughs> on that, um, Andrew. You've also uh, you've also created some uh, comic books. Is that is that right? You wrote something. Yes. Yeah, I have I have a comic. Uh, it's, it's called Deadbolt AI Private Eye. Um, love that name. And it is a uh, it is a coming of age story about three young teenagers living in the. <laughs> Uh, um, it's 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 like a it's like a Huxley-esque um, philosophical sci-fi story about a, um, a future future dystopian society where essentially uh, a, a bunch of robots were created for this war that never happened, and right around the time that all of these robots were created uh, and sort of never kind of fulfilled their you know what they were created for what their what their existence was was uh brought into uh being for um this huge group of rights activists start lobbying for uh robots with a certain level of artificial intelligence to be given to be given human rights and so all of these robots are just one day just told like you you have human rights and you know you're free to go and you you know you're free to just live in this world and they're all just kind of like kicked out of the storage units where they have been being stored for years because they just never were used for this war that kind of didn't happen and uh and then they ba they basically just have to figure out how to live um essentially uh and it and it's this it's this it's tackling this kind of complex idea of existence in modern society and how we sort of fit into the world and how we find our way and examining examining that through the lens of these robots who are you know for all intents and purposes they're kind of babies because they just literally never lived lives and they just kind of have to figure it out from scratch and it's all based around this uh this one robot named deadbolt who uh is a is a private eye and the whole story is kind of told in this uh in this dashiell hammett uh, Raymond Chandler style, like film noir, hard-boiled detective story. Um, but the but these sort of like detective tropes are just kind of a kind of a template for this sort of existential exploration of what it means to be alive and and you know finding yourself in a increasingly chaotic world. Um, and uh, yeah, the, there's 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 one uh, volume of it so far. Uh, it's it's called the Hard Reboot. And it's sort of the first quarter of the story, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was uh, written by me. It was drawn uh, by an artist named uh, Guillermo de Villarreal. Um, uh, a letterer named Tobin Rassicott uh, lettered it, and the cover was done by another artist named Ann Weischick. That's awesome. Yeah, I just I don't know. I just love comics, and like you guys freaking make them so I, I just wanted to <laughs> touch on that um but uh i have so many questions but i'm just not, not gonna do it um in in episode 18 you guys talk a little bit about i think this is like my last question then we can get into the meat and bones of 
not not that this hasn't been the meat and bones, but um, you briefly talk about creative influences um, in because you were talking. I think that was the Jared Leto episode. You're talking about yes, creative influences yes, and stuff. Um, can you? But you don't really discuss your own. Just like, can you guys give a brief? overview of like your own creative influences maybe talk about like some creators that you really vibe with but recently before we should we should state that i i enjoy the works of steven spielberg yeah he's and, his and favorite Noah director the works you of, can, uh, the beatles are the beatles. my favorite band so what the fuck you what's up with that no you took I my should. joke because i was literally just gonna say steven spielberg and, then <laughs> and just, the beatles and yeah i was just gonna say I gave Dave more shit than that than it is actually in the episode, and I cut some of it out. No, I, to- I totally got what you were saying, but it was also just so funny because I was oh, like, I, I texted totally Tennyson, but I-, I was just like, dude, the Beatles are my favorite band. Like, Spielberg's like your favorite. We have to like, give him shit for this. This is so funny. Well, I was like, I was like, motherfucker, he's right. <laughs> I mean, I do enjoy. I have I have plenty of other favorite. Uh, uh, yeah directors but that is just that 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 hit different (laughs) so funny yeah i mean it's just it's i mean look it's it's just the thing of like you know when when someone is asking that question of you know who are your creative influences or what makes you excited about making things or even just kind of like in a social setting when you're with other creatives and you are um asked what you've been watching recently or what you like those are all ways that people are using shorthand to assess each other's uh, not artistic capabilities, but just kind of like seeing what level you're on in terms of like, how do you interact with things? You know, like you're not going to go into a meeting at a major production company pitching a movie and somebody's like, oh, so what have you been watching lately? You're not going to say like, oh, I spent four hours binging the Kardashians or something that's like super mainstream and kind of droll. You're, you're, you're attempting to comport yourself with a sense of authenticity and stay true to who you are. But at the same time, there's a shorthand that's happening where there's a a passive, this is how I'm shaping the narrative of who I am as a creator. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it that's not always fun to think about how people code switch like that. But in creative circles, that does happen. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, anybody who says that their favorite director is Steven Spielberg can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> he doubled down. He doubled down. Holy shit. No, I totally, no, I respect it. I, I totally honestly, get what you're saying, though. Like, I, I, we I we came from way. film school. We know what you're fucking saying. Yeah. We know yeah. what you're well, saying. You hit the. When you referenced Brett Ratner, that, that's what really got me, too. I was like, yep. <laughs> I think I've heard, heard that a few times. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with those people. Like I, like I said in the episode, I love Spielberg's movies too. Jaws is a fucking dope movie. It's a great movie, but also like, if I'm if I'm gonna be like shooting the shit, being like, oh, have you seen this? And oh, do you like that? I'm not gonna be like, hey, have you ever seen Schindler's List? It's like, of course <laughs> like, you've fucking seen it. It's like, it's, the, it's it's a huge movie. Like, heard everyone of this guy seen Spielberg? It. Yeah, bro. What? No, yeah. I just I like to tell people a uh, message from space uh, is definitely up there with my. <laughs> I, you jest, but I absolutely have said that before. I fucking love that movie. No, I, that episode that made me I because uh, I wanted I went and watched clips of it after you guys were talking about it, and I mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, so much fucking awesome <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm a huge fan of it now so i'm i'm gearing up to watch the whole thing at some point soon you should highly recommended 
But yeah, uh, question still stands. <laughs> what are you guys' creative <laughs> influences? <laughs> um. uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I got, I have a, I have a bunch of stuff because, uh, you know, n- not, not, not that Dave doesn't. We, we both do a lot of different things, and we have a bunch of different types of influences. But, you know, specifically in terms of like what I'm doing now, and and you know, stuff that, for the podcast and mm-hmm. things outside of that. Like, I have a bunch of different um, influences from film to music to to uh you know video games um and uh you know uh like a lot a lot of a lot of the stuff that has highly influenced me um when i was younger uh has has been kind of like actually what we talk about a little we're we're, we're our our episode that comes out on uh this coming wednesday i don't know when you put this episode out i don't know when you release what your release schedule is sundays our our upcoming episode you know is really all about uh, this topic, but um, as I was growing up, you know, in 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 my teenage years uh, and 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 older, I I got really into sort of like avant-garde, experimental, and like outsider art, mm-hmm. um, and I really just loved the sort of like rejection of formalism and the rejection of rules and the way that it kind of like like I, like I was I was watching this uh, I was watching this 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 Buster Keaton uh scene the other day and there's this really interesting scene where uh it's it's the, it's this it's the scene from the short film uh called uh it's i think it's called house decorating um but he is trying to like decorate this house and he keeps like fucking up and all these different comedy routines ensue he like lays down some he takes off his coat and he puts it on the ground and then he lays out a rug and he nails the rug down and he realizes his coat is still underneath the rug so he just cuts a hole in the rug takes his coat out and then he like realizes that there's a hole in the rug now so then he puts a another rug over it and stuff like that and then there's like a really cool stunt where he has to like install the chimney so he gets up on the roof and he can't like get down there so he just like puts the chimney around his neck and then he just slides down the roof and falls into the hole where the chimney goes and then just puts it in place and then falls through the house into a bathtub and it keeps cutting away to this other story of this woman that's in the house as she's like making lunch and like she tries to open up this bottle of cream and it explodes in her face and all these weird things and it's like so strange but then there's a scene where she's in the bathtub and it's actually fairly provocative for like a movie from the 1920s like you can kind of see her bare shoulder and she's kind of washing herself and then the soap uh falls out of the bathtub and she tries to reach over and and grab it and like she starts leaning further and further over and she still can't reach it up to the point where like she would need to like stand up and like reveal herself so then literally a hand like from the cameraman comes out and just covers the lens and then like she looks at the camera like smiles like kind of sheepishly uh and then a hand comes out covers the lens and then it moves and then she's done it she's gotten the the soap and i really love things like that uh because you know back in that time the the reason why i love like the movies of the 20s and the 30s um is because there weren't any rules and so they were they were literally inventing those things as they went along and in a lot of ways because it was sort of the beginning of like in a world that where all these art forms are thousands and thousands of years old, uh, movies are only like 
a hundred years old. And at the time it was a new art form. And so it was like, it was like in and of itself outsider art. It was this thing that uh, nobody, everyone was just kind of like, oh, what? You can take a bunch of pictures and it makes a thing that moves and like, what fuck. And then they were just- Oh shit, trying this to, train's coming at me, right? Yeah, and, and they were <laughs> yeah. just, they were just doing different stuff. Like we've so commodified like what a movie is now, but back then they were just inventing the rules. And I love the idea of like, this this concept that like there's no such thing as a fourth wall they hadn't really invented that concept yet so they didn't even think about the fact that it would be weird if they had this little gag where the cameraman covers up the lens so that she can like stand up without being shown love that um and and i i love the the innocence of that and you know one of my biggest creative influences is is uh is orson wells i love him as a director uh, obviously, you know, Citizen Kane, that's the thing that's like, oh, it's on the, it was, it was the number one greatest film of all time on the AFI list until recently when it got pushed back by Vertigo. But, uh, you know, that's obviously great. But, you know, the movies I really love by him are movies like Touch of Evil or, or, uh, his adaptation of, of, uh, The Trial or, um, F or for F fake. for Fake, his, his documentary. Like, I love that because, you know, like Citizen Kane, he was inventing how to make a movie because up until that point, movies were just plays mm -hmm. that you just filmed. And then he was like, what if there was a ceiling? That's not a, that's <laughs> yeah. not an Orson Welles impression at all, but that well, he went said, through a window. And yeah. Oh, the French, uh, <laughs> yeah. the French champagne. Um, but yeah, and I, I just, I, I love the 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 discovery of that and you know how that existed at that time it's sort of the dawn of movies and outsider art kind of like carries that on where there are these people who for a lack of knowledge of what the established rules are they invent and discover really new and interesting things um so you know we talk about a lot of that on our new episode but you know in in terms of music you know i, I really love uh daniel johnston uh, he he's this he's he's this uh, he's this this songwriter um, who basically in the eighties he just like he's 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 a he's a mentally ill man. Oh who, yeah, uh, I know what this is. Yeah, yeah. and he, he in the eighties basically he loved the Beatles, which by the way, fuck you, Dave. His favorite <laughs> band was the Beatles. Uh, he loved the Beatles so much, and he just wanted to he just wanted to make music like the Beatles. That was his whole goal was I want to make music like the Beatles, I want people to like me, and I want to get a girlfriend. And so- That sounds like 12 year old me, that's awesome. Yeah, and so he started, yeah, except for he was like in his late 20s. Yeah. Um, and he was obsessed with like all these different things. He was, obsessed, he was obsessed with comic books and he loved Casper the Friendly Ghost and he loved uh, Captain America. And so he started making all this music and you know, in a vacuum of not really knowing how to create music like that or or how to like, you know, write a song about, you know, your feelings or whatever. He just took all of these different things that he loved and kind of like mashed them up into these, you know, there's, you know, he has literally a song called Casper the Friendly Ghost. That's just about Casper the Friendly Ghost. He has a song called about King Kong. And it's just, it's just like a description of the plot of King Kong. That's, that's what the song is. Um, and I, I love stuff like that. Uh, you know, in, in, in terms of, in terms of films, I really love, uh, this, this Japanese director, uh, named Shinya Sukamoto, who 
you know, a lot of people know about uh, Takeshi, Takashi Miike, uh, who he made like the, you know, like the Dead or Alive series. Uh, and he made a lot of, he, he's made a ton of Japanese uh, uh, films, horror and- Literally a hundred. Yeah, yeah, like so many. Um, and he's great, but then, but Shinya Sukamoto is, is uh, I mean, he sort of went on to gain a craft and get very good at filmmaking, but his first movie that he made, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, is like just this fucking weird thing where it's like he just like made like this movie that was like a hybrid of live action and then like weird stop motion using a bunch of just junk parts and making like weird biomechanical robots out of like just trash and like stop motion animating it all and it's just this really weird fucked up movie and like all of the sound is is created after the fact in 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 foley so you know the whole like every single detail of the the dialogue and the sound effects it was all just recorded later on in a studio because he just didn't know how to shoot sound on location i mean this was this was in the 80 or the late 80s or maybe it was the early 90s yeah i think it was like i think i think it was 92 i think i think that movie came out in 92 um but he just it wasn't like before sound existed for movies or whatever uh but he just didn't know how to do it so he made this movie and then he went back and meticulously uh recorded every sound every incidental sound in this entire movie and it creates this whole world like the fact that he did that it completely crafts this really atmospheric world for this film um mm. so i guess yeah in, in there i could name off hundreds of other people i, I really yeah. i really i really love like the uh uh japanese noise music um and uh just their sort of the way that they explore like the the way that the way that noise music in general but specifically japanese noise music explores this idea of like unwanted uh Un- unwanted stimulus it's like you know music is this desirable thing that you want to hear and the the central cons- conceit of of noise music or, or specifically japanese noise mu- music is like not every emotion is supposed to be good not every emotion evoked by art is supposed to make you feel good sometimes art should make you feel bad it should make you feel mad it should make you feel sad it should make you angry or disgusted um, and so that's what that is. It's it's this exploration of like this is music that's not meant to make you feel happy. It's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable or mad or or disgusted. Um, and uh, you know like uh, there's there's a like uh, there's a lot of guys that were doing that. Uh, Mersbau is probably the most well known Japanese noise uh, performance artist. Mm-hmm. I referenced him on a on the Andrew WK episode, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there's in a bit there, too. I, I yeah. feel like we were doing voices, and you started. Were we talking about Bane? And you like did yep. Bane talking about Mersbau? Yep. Uh, <laughs> no, it was it was Sean. It was Sean Connery. Oh, oh kind yeah, of, kind of. My favorite Mersbau. Um, there's a, there's also this other Japanese noise artist. Uh, his name is Yamantaka Ai, and he was in a he he he's in a noise group called Boredoms. Um, and then he was also in this uh, this old uh noise group uh in the 80s called hanatarash and he they did danger music so their whole idea was like we they performing music that was like that put themselves and their audiences in physical danger so like one time oh yeah he, they they did like a show and he drove us he drove a bulldozer through the audience and everyone like freaked out and like he had to be like he was like he was 
restrained by the police and arrested and all these people almost died and he was just like fuck like he's just driving this bulldozer <laughs> like yeah i mean holy the, shit yeah that's awesome. that, that, that that's what i mean maybe it's because we 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 did the andrew wk album or uh, episode and because we've been doing this new episode that's coming out and maybe i'm just my head space is there right now but thinking back like outsider art and this idea of like exploring new ideas and breaking formalism and not either either rejecting rules or not even knowing about them in the first place is kind of I feel like that's really been the most influential thing on me. Have have like, you heard it, since my early adulthood? Have you heard of the band One Hundred Gex? Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to their newest album, Thousand Gex? I haven't listened to the I haven't listened to the newest one. I I just was watching a, a, a video about them actually. But because no, everything you're saying them. sounds like you would fuck with. 100 Gex. I've been obsessed recently with the uh, their debut album, 1000 Gex. So wacky, yeah, hyper to, pop. Yeah. Just like so many. It's like they just took all these influences and just rammed them together and they said, fuck the formalism of a pop song. This is what I want a pop yeah, song I really, to be. Fuck it. Yeah, I really love, I really love Mike Patton. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a musician and a composer. He's been in some of my favorite bands of all time. He, he's the singer. I mean, the thing he was most famous for the reason why any of his other bands got notoriety is because he was the he was the lead singer of Faith No More. Oh, um, but uh, his his real band that he was in before he kind of got recruited to that is uh, this band called Mr. Bungle, and uh, they're one of my name. favorite bands ever. Um, and they kind of did that too. Their their whole thing was like genre hopping, mashing up a bunch of different like pop sensibility ideas. Um, their third album, California, um, before they broke up, it's like this weird. Uh, hybrid of like Beach Boys style surf rock, um, and like, and the, and then like uh, world music from like different areas of India and Asia, and then like death metal basically. Um, awesome. Yeah, and he also has a band called Phantomus, which is uh, literally it's like it's like death metal for like a Looney Tunes cartoon. So it's just like these really like hyper kinetic just stream of consciousness musical ideas where like one thing starts and then like it's changed to something else before you can get used to it. And it's just like, it's just crazy back and forth between all these. It's like basically someone had like a thousand different like snippets of musical ideas and then just put them all together into one song. And then it's an album of that. That's awesome. That's that's sick. <clears throat> um, I had something to say, but I totally forgot. Uh, Dave, would you like to? Tell us what you're. I'm a big fan of Steven Spielberg. I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, Fuck your comedic timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I mean, I guess there's. Jack Kirby, moving on. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yes. Jack Kirby is great. Um, but for me, I guess there's a difference between like people that I admire who are illustrators and then kind of. Uh, uh, have like informed the way I draw and then maybe writers and musicians and filmmakers and that kind of stuff. Um, just because the act of physically making marks on paper is, is so laborious and difficult um, that, you know, a lot of people look to people who've done it before to try and find a cheat code or a, a matrix for how to put, insert themselves, which is why you get so many people in comics that are just like clones of, other guys where it's just like oh that's how you visually represent a car i'm just gonna do that how's that is that, is that cool is that great um 
But yeah, I mean, I, the list is, I don't know, you, I could go on forever. Uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, Shotaro Ishinomori, Erge, fucking Wally Wood, uh, Harvey Kurtzman, like, it, it, you know, Taiyo Matsumoto, like, you know, I could, I could, I could go on forever. James Stokoe, um, yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel like Andrew, I, I feel like Andrew, he talked enough about influences. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, I kind of thought a similar thing to you is like, I could just list off a hundred names. So I kind yeah. of went more for yeah. a, like, let me explain like a kind of concept yeah. and then yeah. sprinkle yeah. in some, some names. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, it, we could do a whole podcast just talking about like people I've ripped off, <laughs> 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 you know, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean. Just looking yeah, I mean, at the dead, shit. yeah, Deadbolt is just a, basically just like, oh, what if like, what if like, Philip K. Dick made a comic like that? That's just what that is. <laughs> but that's yeah, looking at looking at the, the stuff that's things. on my wall. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at the stuff that's on my wall, there's a Doug Wildey promotional Johnny Quest poster for when Kamiko got the license in '86. Love that. There's I have the, the first. Of, I have the first Kamiko Johnny Quest. So I found nice. it in the shop, and I was like. <laughs> yeah, that book is great. William Messner Loeb's fucking loved Johnny Quest as a kid. I uh, I love Johnny Quest now. Well, yeah, I still do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, so and then right above that is a, a copy of what the fuck issue is that? Eight Faust number eight. So you know you got a little bit of the Tim Vigil pornography. You got a little bit of the you know young boy adventurer. And then on this wall you got uh, you got a little bit of the Jack Kirby two thousand one A Space Odyssey. You know how oh, it is. Yeah. You know oh, how it yeah. is. Behind me, you got a poster for Death Wish Three and Danger Diabolique. You know, a little bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little, <laughs> little, other. little, little bit of here, a little bit of there. It's it's yeah. Deal. Uh, <laughs> right here, you just got a, a giant stack of you know action hospitals. That's probably about five hundred. Just five hundred copies of a three hundred page book that took me two hundred fucking days to draw. It's fine. <laughs> it's cool. Don't sweat it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also, I also realized a couple years ago, I came to the sort of self-actualized realization that every part of my like creative sensibilities and my personal aesthetic for the things that I like to make can all be traced back to Bill and Ted's bogus journey. <laughs> there you go. It's really, it's like, it's all there. It the, all culminates. The fucking, the fucking weird, like, <laughs> homemade not what robots, I you were gonna say. the monsters, <laughs> the kind of body horror of the way that station like morphs at the end like like it's all there i probably have one Amazing. of those too it's probably digimon or some shit i think it's probably <laughs> digimon the movie it's probably well that just means they're gonna be people um 30 years from now or 20 years from now who are gonna be uh, think the same thing about bill and ted three uh, <laughs> yes <Yep. laughs> it all subtitles. goes back to that <laughs> Yeah, is it just me or does anyone else irate that the Bill and Ted 3 naming convention was jettisoned? I really hate the title Bill and Ted Face the Music. Why isn't it Bill and Ted's something journey or mission or like why wasn't it Bill and Ted's lit existentially journey? (laughs) Yeah, that would be so good. That would be so good. Bill and Ted's dope ass (laughs) evening in. Dope ass quarantine yeah, Zoom Bill, call. Yeah, yeah. Bill and Ted's dope ass <laughs> self quarantining. Yeah, I mean, I, look. Am I gonna see that movie? Yes. Am I gonna be grumpy that it doesn't have the same naming convention? Yes. Till the end of time. Bill and Ted face the music. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. 
It's come on, guys. It took it took twenty years to get this fucking sequel off the ground. I know there's been a ton of versions of this. Yeah, I feel exactly. Like, come on. Anyway, do you guys like Power Rangers? Did you guys like Power Rangers? Uh, are you setting yeah. Are you setting me up for this? Son of a bitch? <laughs> I'm not setting anyone up for anything. I'm just I'm transitioning into my topic that I brought. I'm today. feeling set up. That's how I feel right now. So. Yeah, I mean, Dave will, launch into, Dave will launch into something, obviously, but I'll briefly say, yes, I loved Power Rangers uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid. Um, I, I'm, I'm le- I was less into, you know, as I grew older, I was less into the sort of what Power Rangers came from, which was the, the you know, the, the live action tokusatsu, tokusatsu hero character shows like Kamen Rider and specifically Super Sentai, which is what literally what Power Rangers is made from. I yeah. was always I was always more into uh, kaiju tokusatsu shows like Godzilla and and yep. the and, and the other Toho movies. But Dave is it, it will go into uh, will go into Power Rangers slash Super Sentai. Yeah, uh, the the short answer is yes. Uh, one of the people I even said in my uh, creative influences quick paragraph was Shitaro Ishinomori, the creator of uh, Skullman, which then got a you know, adapted and turned into Common Writer. Um, he's one of my favorite illustrators. Uh, you know, Cyborg 009, Kikaida, Hikaida, uh, Detective Robot K. Um, I, I love his work. Uh, and uh, I love Tokusatsu, Henshin Heroes, as our boy Andrew just said. And yes, I did enjoy Power Rangers, but I am, and, and still do. Um, but I uh, am much more of a Sentai and uh, Toku, you know, writer person. I, li- I like the Japanese stuff is the pretentious short way of saying it. No, I like the <laughs> Japanese stuff. <laughs> well, well, you, you guys uh, smelled right. That was a setup. Because uh, today we're not <laughs> talking about Power Rangers. We're talking about something else. You guys ever heard of uh, Big Bad Beetleborgs? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, you mean the show, that was in, the show that was an adaptation of Metal Hero? Fuck yes. Fuck yes. <laughs> Get ready for Big Bad Beetleborgs. I've, I'm pulling up the uh, the title sequence right now, if my internet allows but yeah, I just so, love how Beetleborg sounds. Beetleborg, Beetleborg. I I didn't great. even remember that the title of the show was actually Big Bad Beetleborgs. I thought it was just Beetleborgs, but then like, Big in my research, Bad Beetleborgs, Big yes. Bad Beetleborgs. But yeah, did you guys you guys watch? So you guys watched this show? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, I I definitely watched a lot of. Uh, it it was firmly in that camp of shows that I would watch before I went to school in the morning. So, you know, you had... Big Bad Beetleborgs Big Bad Beetleborgs Kelly Forrester So it's got everything you guys fuck with. It's got Tokusatsu. Yeah, I mean, it's got comic books. It's got. I mean, it's it's everything right there. And then it was uh, it was a mixture of. I mean, I I liked Power Rangers as much as the next kid, um, but I was when I was a kid, I was really into horror, um, 
and I loved uh, I loved the Universal monsters. I loved yeah. uh, you know at, at, when I was younger, I loved Frankenstein's monster. Now I'm kind of more of a Invisible Man kind of guy, but um, but I, I, I love the Universal monsters. Uh, I, I I watched those movies. I, I think just they came on maybe like TNT or or maybe they came on HBO or something like that. I, I just, I don't, there's a lot of movies where I think back, I'm like, where did I even watch that? But it <laughs> came on, it came on something, but I, I used to watch these movies a lot and and I, I, I loved those. Um, and, uh, you know, this was like, this was Power Rangers, but it had like this other weird thing that I also loved. And it was really enticing to me that it had like the universal monsters uh, in it, or you know, not the Universal Monster specifically, but it had mum- the Mummy and, and Frankenstein's monster, and also like the the Phantom guy, the main guy. Like I thought he was Jay Leno. Yep. When I was when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. Like I a hundred percent, I thought that was Jay Leno for some reason. I mean, not for some reason. I mean, it looks it like looks a, exactly. It like looks him. like it, but like I thought it was actually Jay Leno playing <laughs> him. Hey, you guys want to come and sit in my mansion with my robot guys? Hey, guys I got my, I got plenty of cars. I got plenty of cars. Yeah, have, have, have it going. You guys, you guys want to be some big bad Beetleborgs? Oh, do it, guys. <laughs> but yeah, so that that was the first season. This is the second season intro, which this is actually the version I. I liked that they hung out in a comic kid. shop too. Yeah, they yeah they they started the big bad Beetleborgs are actually heroes that they become from the comic books. They, they recast, so they recast the girl, and they explain it away, um, oh, there's a whole subplot I gotta get into, but they explain it away with, uh, some magic from the ghost goes wrong and accidentally changes the girl's face forever, and I think that happens in, like, the first episode of the second season, so that's <laughs> explaining away how, like, the girl why the girl is a different actress i mean yeah, that's, this, that's better that's better than how they wrote off jerry o'connell on sliders how'd they how'd they do that they basically in the at the end of the fourth season they slide um but and then at the beginning of the fifth season they explain that in in the warp hole in during the slide <laughs> his like soul got separated from his body and his body basically got just lost in the ether and then his soul came out of his body and it just found the nearest alternate dimension version of himself <laughs> and so it went into this the the that universe's version of him but he looks different because like in this universe you looked slightly different um and it's just a different actor that's not jerry o'connell and that's some the that's whole some doctor who shit yeah and the yeah, whole i was like, about con- to say that's like doctor who yeah <laughs> But yeah, this uh, this show was awesome. It's like it's one of those like fever dream things where I couldn't remember if it was real for the longest time or like what it truly was. Um, like like most shows like this uh, and Vice Bond, it was taken from uh, several Tokusatsu shows. Uh, first was Juko B Fighter. Uh, all the action scenes are taken from that, and then the second season is B Fighter Kabuto. Um, so. And then the reason there was no third season is because there was no uh, new series of tokusatsu to steal from. So they were just like, ah, it's done. Um, But yeah, this show is like so weird. Like the American version of this tokusatsu is so strange because it's like they not only do they have like these Power Ranger-esque fighting 
people, but then somehow mixed in are, like you said, the universal monsters inside of a haunted house. And then they're also from a comic book store. Like, it's just all these strange elements that, like, like, this is nothing like Power Rangers, aside from, like, the fighting. Like, Power Rangers is, like, dramatic, serious to an extent. This is just, like, this was, like, a comedy they were trying to transition into like the the monsters being more of main characters, making it like a sitcom esque like wacky show. Just they're also kind of like strange. Captain Marvels, where they're like little kids, and then they turn into yeah these huge like know, Shazam, yeah, adult sized uh, fighters. But like one thing I I did uh, I really liked is as this is like related to comic books they have like a whole subplot where they meet their creator whose name is less fortune oh no his name is art fortunes and then later i remember that actually i I remember that episode and then they later meet his brother less fortunes who creates the evil beetleborg the shadow borg who they have to fight and i just i i just love that like weird peek behind the curtain of like the comic book creator and his name's freaking art fortunes what a beautiful name um yeah i I love stuff like that it it reminds me of it reminds me of two things it reminds me of my favorite episode of are you afraid of the dark which is the one with the clown in the comic that comes out of the comic yes yes and the, the episode was shot like a comic and it was like in comic panels what was that was just really cool I don't remember what the name of the episode was called. Um, uh, yeah. And also there's it's a like really... The Ghastly Grinner, I think is what it's called. Yeah, Ghastly, the, the Ghastly Grinner. Yeah, the Ghastly Grinner, that's what it was. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then there's a really... It's like the second to last episode of Erie, Indiana, um, where if you, you know the premise of Erie, Indiana is um, uh, the, the, the main character, Marshall... He moves to this moves from New York to this small town in Indiana called Erie, and he makes friends with this little kid named Simon, and they form this kind of like kid X Files uh, exploratory uh, club, where they 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 investigate all these different paranormal things that are happening in the town, and it's kind of like it's just X Files for kids. It's a monster of the week show, and uh, in the second to last episode, and the show was was um, uh, it was. It was executive produced by Joe Dante, um, who directed Gremlins and a bunch of other Flight of the Navigator. Movie. Yeah, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, um, the what is the, the Explorers? Which I fucking love the Explorers. Um, speaking of that, that, that's a whole that's a fucking super fascinating thing because like they I'm not even gonna get into it, but uh, <laughs> they like ran out they ran out of money and so like they they made like half the movie and then like they didn't have any more money to make the rest of the movie, so the rest of the movie is just like a weird tone poem of them floating through space. It's so fucking fascinating. But um yeah, so the awesome. he executive produced it and he directed the first couple episodes and then he stayed on as a consultant. So in the second to last episode, the concept is that uh, Marshall wakes up and he and he wakes up into a world where Erie, Indiana is a TV show. He is himself the actor who plays Marshall on the show, uh, Omri Katz. And the whole thing is a show. All the other characters are actors. Joe Dante is the director of the show. And he's the only one who seems to know that like their, their world is not fake and that it's a real world. 
And yeah, it's a really cool episode. That reminds me of that. That's sick. But yeah, I just yeah, I just wanted to talk about that because uh, it's something I've wanted to talk about for a while. But uh, when when we figured out you guys were coming on, I was like, oh, this seems like a a good one to talk to them about. Um, the yeah. the toy the, the the best part about Big Bad Beetleborgs was the toys. Oh yeah. Um, I have. I mean, yeah, I do you remember those? Yeah, the the Power Rangers toys were really popular. Uh, the ones where the the heads flip. Yep. Um, yep. Like but, from the body. Like yeah, but I those. but I real there was two different lines of toys that I loved, and I thought they were personally I thought they were way better than the Power Rangers toys. Um, and it was Big Bad Beetleborgs because they were these like heavy articulate like every joint uh, was articulated. And they were made. They had like this shiny, kind of metallic-looking plastic, and um, and then the, the other one I really love was the biker mice from Mars toys. Those were great. <laughs> uh, yes. But but yeah, these these Beetleborgs toys were amazing. I had. Um, I, f- I feel like I had one of their like little transformer like communicator things that you wore on your wrist that every Gen yeah. Power Ranger had. I feel like I had one of those. I don't remember though. But yeah, it's kind of weird too that they would. It's just so bizarre that they would take it in a horror comic book characters living in a mansion angle because mm-hmm. all of the Metal Hero franchises kind of fall into uh, one of two buckets. They're I like the first three uh, Metal Hero franchises are Space Sheriff Gavin, Space Sheriff Jasupon, and Space Sheriff something else. I don't remember the third one, but they they basically are like. Superman stories of like or Green Lantern stories where they're like an alien who's a part of a peacekeeping force who comes to Earth, hides incognito and then fights an evil organization that's trying to rule humanity. Um, And actually, the first metal hero suit, uh, Space Sheriff Gavin, is the visual inspiration for uh, Robocop. Uh, They just kind of like cribbed his mask fully but <laughs> after that they kind of fall into one or two buckets they're either space sheriff light where it's like some sort of alien or some sort of kind of guy in a metal suit fighting you know for uh against this evil organization and he's usually space themed or space connected or kind of like police propaganda like there was one metal hero called uh uh blue swat which is just three robot superpowered police officers there's another one that's called like J- jays jays J- jason i don't remember the name of it but he looks at, like rubble cop and he's it's a cop propaganda show where it's you know i'm a dude and i've got robot powers and i'm gonna fucking kill bad guys and the police are good <laughs> largely because the the japanese have a very different relationship with with the police and policing than americans do mm-hmm. um over there there's like you know there's not the racial uh, disharmony that we have in our country. And also police officers are typically speaking, not militarized in the way that ours are militarized. Mm -hmm. They also, they also just look very different. Like they wear white sashes. They have white pristine gloves. Mm -hmm. They're typically a little bit more like they're just a guy hanging out in like a phone booth in your neighborhood that you can go ask for directions as opposed to someone who is observing you waiting for you to do something wrong, which is a lot of, they also don't have Americans, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you want to see um, a really cool movie about sort of like the culture of policing in yes. J- Japan. Uh, <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, move, a movie called Stray Dog that was directed by Akira Kurosawa. 
It's 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 oh, uh, it's one of his yeah. lesser known movies, but it's on the it's on the Criterion Collection. It's not like super obscure, okay. um, but uh, it's it's about a Japanese cop who gets his gun stolen, and then the whole movie is about him trying to get his gun back because in in you know in Japanese culture and in the Japanese police system, like very few uh, detectives are issued guns, and they're like it's like gold. It's like you know you can't just like fucking throw it in a hole and go get another one out of this armory of machine guns or whatever like they're very expensive the ammo is very expensive and like you have to treat it like it's your child basically that sounds awesome i definitely want to check that out with your whole description of that where does ghost jay leno come in (laughs) yeah so he he so he's like the one who gives them the powers they walk into this mansion on a dare they play this piano. Ghost Jay Leno comes out, and he's like, ah, uh, I got some cars. Uh, do you guys want to be? Uh- <laughs> that's, more, that's more Elmer Fudd. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, I don't know what that was. Um, yeah, it's, it's more, 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 it's I think they either have the comic books in their hand or, or something happens and he's like, okay, I'll make you like those comic book characters. And he just literally makes them them. And then the Haunted Mansion becomes their uh, base and he becomes like their, like uh, the guy who like sends them on missions. They're Zordon. Yeah, he's they're Zordon. I mean, he's not at first, but I'm pretty sure he transitions to become their Zordon. It's That's so it's silly. Very strange. But yeah, just a weird. Uh, but weird you could, show. But it's it the the best part about the the way Saban was approaching stuff there is is you could tell like normally in development meetings there's like the golden rule of like shooting somebody down as you just say that's a hat on a hat which means it's a premise that would work on its own but with another premise that would work on its own right on top of itself so mm-hmm. it's gonna like be in in discord with itself like you don't want to have the show fighting itself to be something else or the movie or whatever the thing is that you're pitching. So you hear that a lot in, in meetings where people are like, I don't know, that sounds like a little bit of hat on a hat. Um, and that is not only a hat on a hat, but it's like a hat on a sombrero, <laughs> on a hat, on a helmet, on a hat. What's the, what's the, what's the wrestling term for that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the no, wrestling term is suit, suitcasing, I believe is the name. <laughs> From a ladder? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like, but like just the development of that show, like it must have happened so quickly because it yeah. is a hat on a hat on a hat. Like it's, okay, so the premise of the show is not only is it kids turning into adults, which that's your, that's your hook, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's kids in a haunted mansion befriending ghosts, which is another premise. And then it's comic book characters coming to life, which is another premise. So the show mm-hmm. has four premises all <laughs> on top of each other. And it's Jay Leno as a father figure to six <laughs> children. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't, know, amazing. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> is he a father figure? I don't know. But yeah, that show. I love it. Show's wacky. Um, what have you? What have you brought for us today? Uh, so th- the thing that I brought, which let me grab it. Hold on, it's right here. Which is one of my favorite books of all time, uh, and was the first time I met the creator of something that I liked and it like just blew my mind is uh, this book right here. It's called Teenagers from Mars and it is a uh, it is a comic published by Gigantic Graphic Novels 
mm-hmm. uh, written by Rick Spears, illustrated by Rob G. And it was published around 2005, 2004, 2006, somewhere in there, um, which was when I was, you know, in, in high school trying to figure out, like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? What, what is, I know it's going to be comics or movies or something, but, like, how do you do this? And so I was really getting into, I was really getting into indie comics and getting into manga and, like, trying to find different ways of approaching comics, right? Because, uh, uh, you know, it's not like there's a thriving indie scene in Tucson fucking Arizona. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, there's the, there's a couple comic stores, which is great. I was very fortunate to grow up in a place that did have, you know, of, of the cities in Arizona, Tucson is one of the more liberal leaning crazy um, that you hate the beatles but tucson is mentioned in get back <laughs> weird coincidence <laughs> yeah uh, it's kind of like I, it's kind of like how you just wear hats yeah very <laughs> interesting point no fun, quick, quick quick aside apparently while they were writing that lyric uh <laughs> because they're from england they're they've never fucking been to arizona the john's like is Tucson in Arizona? And Paul's like, I don't know, I think so. And then <laughs> they just left it. Anyway, continue. I kind of love that idea, like Philadelphia, Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never been. Yeah, <laughs> Tell no, me no, about I've, it. No, I've never been to Tulsa, New York. How is it there? <laughs> it's like it's like how English people think New York is like a two-hour drive from like California. Or yeah. <laughs> One of, one of my friends is Australian, and they they were gonna be visiting their sibling in uh, in Toronto, and they were like, "Oh, do you wanna, you know, you could come stay with my sibling and I. We're gonna be hanging out for the weekend. You know, do you wanna? I know it's kind of a drive, but do you wanna come?" Kind of. And I was like, "No, you don't understand how much of a drive that is. <laughs> that's like that's like a week. Like I I can't just drive to Toronto." Um, there's an entire subgenre of films where we drive across the country that's a whole movie can take place in that time yeah 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 um but yeah so uh teenagers from mars uh tells the story of macon blair who is a disgruntled um not walmart employee the place he works at is called mall mart and um he works in the hardware section and he uh fastidiously guards over the very limited number of comics that mall mart continues to stock and one day a young boy comes into mall mart and purchases a comic and the, his parent gets upset and it kind of turns uh macon's life on its ear he loses his his cool starts screaming at the woman he gets fired from mall mart which then kicks off um basically a um a story of self-discovery and defensive free speech where the mayor of this small town takes up a war on the idea that comics should be distributed. Uh, it's similar to what happened in the 1950s with the Wortham trials. Mm-hmm. Comics start to be blamed for all of the societal ills in this small town and Macon and uh, his new best friend slash potential love interest start a a gang of two called the Comics Liberation Army. And so it, the book kind of becomes this um, this Bonnie and Clyde meets taxi driver meets art school confidential journey of them um, literally taking up arms to defend their medium of choice, but also um, uh, the, gen- the general idea of small town mindsets and intolerance to artistic expression um, with a pistol grip <clears throat> pump, as it were. Sounds like a better version of Footloose. 
<laughs> it's Footloose if Footloose was hyper violent and about comics. Yeah, that way sounds better. great. That sounds way, way better. better. <laughs> the, pre- the premise of it kind of vaguely reminds me of uh, that movie Cecil B. Demented. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah, it's kind of got a similar thing. It's like, hmm. I don't even, I mean, that's a whole other discussion. I don't even want to get into it. If you, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to sit here and re- recite the premise of it to you. No, tell me what the opening shot is. <laughs> <laughs> Go beat by beat. Please tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, no, about, I, it's, about, it's about a director who is making a movie and then basically they just, his his crew just go around around the country like actually robbing banks and they like shoot the scenes of them robbing banks and they become these like, like you said, Bonnie and Clyde-esque like, uh, like outlaws who are fighting for freedom of expression through film uh, and robbing banks and running away from the law while they're making a movie. That sounds pretty awesome. That sounds delightful that sounds, to me. That sounds amazing. Which also sounds somewhat in similar, somewhat similar in tone and execution to the book The Auteur, also oh, yeah, by yeah. Rick G. I fucking um, love The Auteur. Which is going to be turned into a HBO TV show by Taika Waititi, I think. Um, yep. So excited about that. I am, I I'm excited too, yeah. I haven't read that, but I fucking love The Auteur. Yeah, The I Auteur wonder, is great. I wonder besides um, if there ever, ever will be... Uh, because like mediums such as uh, film, um, comic books, and more recently video games, I wonder what the video game equivalent to to something like that would be. Um, I don't know if there is anything out right now that kind of matches that uh, energy. Yeah, um, video, video games are just it's well, it, it's whatever <laughs> medium is up next in the slot of. Oh, I see. What What's you mean. easy to blame for our problems? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. I mean, they've yeah. already they've already tried to do that repeatedly. Yeah, I mean that was yeah, that was, and, it, and it happened. That's the that was the that big thing ratings. with the with the Columbine shootings and like they like basically like Marilyn Manson and video games were blamed for that. And yep, mm-hmm. yeah, it's kind of. I mean, there was a big witch hunt or not witch hunt. That's a bad term to use, but there was a big like moral panic. A, a, yeah, moral panic about like video games in like the 2005-ish era with, you know, whenever Grand Theft Auto Vice City was huge and mm-hmm. people were like, you can murder a hooker in it. And like that became this huge story. <laughs> that old adage. Well, and what, what, I'm, what I'm wondering is, is do we have anything now that kind of stands up for video games the way that um, it's, it's a little comic more... books have been... But right. I feel like... Go ahead. <laughs> it's a little more <laughs> a- abstract. Um, but... Like YouTube has had the same thing. They've had the same like that whole ad apocalypse where people were like, "What? Yeah. What the fuck is my kid watching?" And then just advertisers were like, "Fuck shit." Um, kind of similar thing where people were like, uh, "Like it just changes forms. It's just like whatever the kids like. Let's limit it and make sure it's causing the violence. It's causing the violence. That's the problem right there." But, <laughs> but the interesting yeah. thing about it now is that. I mean, I, I think the defining crucible of our time is social media, both yeah. for, you know, it, and it's and it's been both positive and negative. You know, I mean, it's the reason yep. that we have Trump. It's also the reason that so many people are able to make a living off of their art and the reason why we don't have monoculture anymore, which I think is a very positive thing. You know, mm-hmm. I know that there are people who are nostalgic for a time when the Beatles were the like they were the pinnacle i mean God this is separate it, to our, this God is our separate it. this is separate from our conversation I, I, I literally thought you were gonna say when the beatles were the spielberg of their time i was going <laughs> no to but i mean this cry. is a separate 
conversation from me just like <laughs> negging you all and, and pretending like but but i think that there is a there is a reason why the the beatles are universally acclaimed right they 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 were a linchpin act at a very specific point in time where information was easily dispersible and because of that youth culture then became culture in a global sense and it was a monoculture that everyone just you know despite what walk or socioeconomic bracket you came from had access to now whether you liked it or not that's different but you at least you were you had access to that thing that core pillar of what society was right and then that has kind of echoed throughout time whereas right now that's the reason why People that are grumpy say music sucks now. Modern music's terrible. Well, no, that's that's not that's just not factually accurate. There's amazing music being made right now, in the same way that there's amazing every type of media being made. It's just we don't have a monoculture, and so you have to go find the stuff that speaks to you, as opposed to you being exposed to the stuff. And that is directly like causality-wise related to the rise in social media and the rise of people sharing what they like and don't like and ideas through these kind of like lock chains of social interactions. The issue with that being, this is like one of the very few times where that in air quotes, moral panic of what are these ideas that my, or my kids are being exposed yeah. to and is it warping them? That's happening now pan generationally where people that are younger are actually better at assessing fake news and people that are younger are actually more equipped to deal with social ecosystems than people who might be a little bit older and might not be aware of some of the tricks and tropes of the way social media functions. That, and I feel like younger people now are so, we're so, we can easily adapt to uh, culture changes because now with social media, and you guys kind of touched upon this with um, kind of Hollywood uh, in, in your last episode, um, kind of how fast... Uh, our culture values change. It can be within like five years. So now you take that with social media and how fast we are willing to change and adapt to whatever information we have access to. Um, it just puts us so much further than those that are older now. So yeah, I, yeah, there, I completely agree. There's some kind of term for it. I can't think of the term, but there's a specific term for the effect of sort of being born uh, within the compartmentalized existence of some kind of technology and your brain just fundamentally processes it differently than somebody who wasn't like, you know, even if, even if, you know, digital you, native, is that what you're talking about? Well, that's, that's a, that's another term for basically our generation, but there's a, there's a term for the psychological effect mm. of, uh, you know, um, some, somebody who's, you know, a, a Gen Xer or a boomer, um, uh, or even even slightly younger, even like on the older end of the uh, of the millennial spectrum, who didn't grow up with computers, and then you know I, I feel like I feel like my like our generation, like you know specifically, I'm I'm 32, and somebody specifically in my generation, we were the first generation to be born and live our entire childhoods um, with like the internet, and so we our brains just fundamentally process it differently than somebody who like my parents or, or even like somebody who's like maybe five to 10 years older than me. Um, they, that, and that's the reason why they fall for the weird chain letters and the, and the fake news and things like that, because they just, they just don't know to 
how to look out for those little tricks because they just didn't grow up with that so it just doesn't even enter their mind whereas i'm sitting there i'm just like bonzi buddy trained me for this like, <laughs> bonzi I, buddy. I, I know i know what you're trying to do um, a, a little a little monkey once taught me <laughs> little purple <laughs> monkey boy yeah um yeah i was i was listening to i don't know who it was forgive me if it was you guys this is embarrassing um but some i was listening to somebody talk about how the like the like you were kind of talking about dave the the monoculture of like the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s they just have a feeling and a vibe and you can just see it and like the vibe of 1982 is slightly different than the vibe of 1987 but not really like to an outsider they feel the same the 2000 the early 2000s and even the 2010s they are way more ambiguous because of what you discussed. The internet kind of opens up and breaks the monoculture. We don't really have, like, we we do have like similar uh, feelings, but th- it's way harder to describe. Oh, that is the two thousands. That is the twenty tens. It's way more murky and ambiguous. Um, well, especially so, so, the yeah. way that our culture is now obsessed with nostalgia. Um, yes. You know, like I've been thinking about this a lot recently just because like nostalgia is not a positive word. Like people use it like, you know, my day job is, you know, media stuff. Same with Andrew and people always it will be in meetings and people will always be discussing like, you know, well, nostalgia. We got to we got to make sure that it's it's got a big nostalgic hook to it. Like, what's the hook? And it's like nostalgia, the, the definition of what it used to be, and this isn't me being grumpy about words evolving. I like when words evolve, and I think it's fascinating. But the, de- the definition of the word used to be you having a painful experience about the inability to go home again, remembering something both fondly but also with a sense of kind of inborn negative, like, oh, I'll never be able to experience that again. That's so accurate. And now that's not what it means. Now it's... I was exposed to something before and now I'm getting that same feeling again. Like nostalgia just doesn't mean what it used to mean, which is cool. It's fine. I don't give a shit if the word evolves, but it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing of like somebody the other day was talking about episodes nine, whatever the, or eight, whatever the new JJ Abrams, the last star Wars episode was rise of Skywalker. Skywalker. And somebody was saying like, yeah, the movie wasn't that great, and yeah, I didn't like how they handled this, but honestly, it was worth it just for the nostalgia. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, it's interesting that you would phrase it that way, and I, I understand what you mean under the new colloquial evolution of nostalgia, but also it's fascinating that someone would be drawn to the that painful experience. That, to me, that's, it, it's more interesting that people would be going to something that is hurtful almost as a sense of group catharsis um i think the evolution might i mean this is just a shot in the dark but i think it kind of stems out of the commercialization of it kind of takes away that negative connotation of just like oh yeah that thing you had no it wasn't painful we can give it back to you it's great again right like remember how great it was yeah yeah (laughs) Nostalgia has become sort of a sort of a psychological salve too. It's it's a it's a it's a thing to recede into, whenever you're not so happy about your life right now. And you know, I'm I'm in a lot of uh, Facebook groups. Um, uh, I won't I won't give away too much of the secret sauce. <laughs> but uh, 
a lot a lot of a lot of the way that Dave and I have been able to build our show and get it, you know, as big as it is now is by just aggressively marketing it in Facebook groups. Yeah. And I'm in a ton of nostalgia Facebook groups. And you know, I, I wouldn't be in these in these groups by choice other than just to distribute content because honestly, they're just cesspools. They're 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 like you know, imagine imagine how shitty like Facebook is and just the horrible things that people say on that the horrible things that people share and imagine like a little place where people think that they're in private within Facebook. Yeah. These places are just cesspools of horrible, bigoted, racist, sexist, whatever, whatever ist you could think of. Um, they're terrible places and I kind of don't think they, they should exist. Um, but cause they, they galvanize like the worst in you as a person and, allow you to sort of live your life at your worst through the combination of the feeling I'm of anonymity him, you I'm have. I'm calling up Mark right now. Got yeah, him on speaker. Him. The Zucks? Um, you, got, you got Big Zucks number? <laughs> Please welcome Zuck. Hey, it's uh, Big Buck Zuck. Big Bring Buck. him in. <laughs> big, that's, that's what, that's what it, that, you know that they know him now because that's only what his closest friends call him. Um, yeah, I got him on speed down. It's Big Buck. I'm in a lot of nostalgia groups and it's honestly just very sad. Um, there's 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 a version of a meme that I've seen a million different versions of it, and there's one in particular that I've seen that just comes to mind where it's kind of an it's an illustration of a bunch of kids with their backs to the camera, s- crowded around um, like an old TV, like a '90s looking TV. I think they're in like in a basement, and they're all crowded around, and they've got a in '64, and they're all there. There's four kids, and they're hol- holding controllers, and they're playing Goldeneye. And the the text on the meme is like, you know, none of us knew that this would be the best time of our life or whatever. Sad. And like, that's Sad. just so heartbreaking to me that Sad. there are people and these these po- they have they have hundreds and hundreds of shares, hundreds of comments, hundreds of reactions, likes or whatever. Um, and it's just so sad to me that some people feel that way, that they, that yeah. they, they retreat, they retreat into uh, nostalgia or like the things of their childhood because they're just it's it's a it's a way to com- compartmentalize themselves psychologically from the just unhappiness that they feel with their with the current day um and and where their lives are at now uh and they, and they try to sort of blame it on this idea that like as you get older life just gets shittier and that kind of true in a way i mean certainly you are confronted with the the actual sort of existential problems in life and you have to obviously you know move out on your own and pay bills and confront reality but you know those are just that's just that's not like oh life sucks that's just like oh that is just you know the next stage in life and you know ideally you adapt to that and ideally you carve out a path and you find a new type of happiness um yeah like having money and yeah. not having to rely on your parents to drive you everywhere. Like, yeah. Well, and I, I feel like when when people make a claim, like they'll, they'll say, you know, GoldenEye was the best video game ever, and they, and they relate it to their childhood, and that was when they were the happiest, and that's what they think. I, I feel like, and then from from then on, they don't think about anything else possibly being the best video game again or or the best book or whatever they don't really open 
open the doors to new media or new avenues uh, of education and, and exposure. There's kind of like, this was the best and it's always going to be the best, but I'm just going to keep trucking along thinking that's the best. Yeah, my, my dad said something once that stuck with me to this day. It scares the shit out of me. He was like, his his like favorite band is like Journey or whatever. To just rag on my dad. Hey, don't stop believing, bro. <laughs> Wheels in the sky <laughs> keep on turning. And, and he I was like, I don't know where I'll be tomorrow. And he he I asked him one time as a kid. I was like, Why do you like Journey so much? And he was like, Well, they were popular when I graduated. And he was like, kind of going. He was like, uh, Talk to anybody like my age. They'll probably like. Like, they're probably their favorite music is, like, what was cool when they graduated. Whenever you get older and you graduate, you're probably, that's that time in your life. That's what you're going to really like, and you're going to stick with it forever. Scared the fuck out of me. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to hit a point where I just stop, and then I just stop liking <laughs> that things. And, like, like, that has stuck with me forever. Once you listen like, to Journey, it's over. I was like, that's that's absolutely not fucking true. That is terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm waiting to hit that point, but. There's some kind of statistic that um, you like people stop listening to new music after the age of 32. I forget the I forget the exact numbers or or whatever, but there's some kind of statistic about that. So get you're right. done. Um, yeah, get what right you're saying. You're you're, you're done. Uh, <laughs> well, I can. I don't know if this I don't know if this applies to all generations, but, <laughs> but I but I can definitely see I can definitely see like maybe this is unique to us and as we were talking about before, and as Dave said, the moving away from monoculture, but I definitely can understand this idea of becoming increasingly overwhelmed with the sheer amount of new things that you have to sort of keep up with and sort of like reaching a a brick wall where you're basically like, all right, I'm just going to stop at 2006 (laughs) and I'm just going to stay there because that's where I understand things. I know what's going on there. I don't feel like uh, I'm missing out on like thousands and thousands of bands that I've just never heard of, and like I can I can understand and relate to that idea. I don't know if that's unique to our generation or if that's just always exists, but I I gotta feel like it has to in some way be kind of unique to us because of the fact that there's just just undeniably there has been a hugely exponential growth growth in the amount of stuff that exists it's also like there is our, there is our n- uh, ability to get it it's like when yeah. you can get yeah. everything it, you're like where do i start shit i don't know um, but that being said no I, I don't i try not to uh allow myself to fall into that trap i i i, I let them win yeah I, I i try to i try to discover new things all the time um, I mean, one of my one of my favorite new musicians. I mean, Dave and I, we have a shared deep love for our girl CRJ. Hey, 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 Carly, hey, Carly Ray Jepsen. Hell yeah, yes. Hell yeah. And that's not music either of us should be listening to necessarily. <laughs> but fuck it, yeah, fuck it, yeah. Why not? I love like, totally she. Agree. She is greatly like underrated and like panned. Um, because of where the, where is she panned? Tell me well, the I name mean, of these I just people mean who in panned like, her. In like Fuck them. <laughs> because of what call I, me pa- call me maybe in the eyes of the yeah. Public. You, mean the, you mean the greatest like, song in Canadian history? <laughs> I'm, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've coined that as the Carly Rae Jepsen effect, um, where uh, you, uh, uh, if you have too early of a massive success, it can actually end up um, cratering your ability to find future success. Because the, uh, Call Me Maybe was so big that no matter how good her and don't get me wrong, I love Call Me Maybe. Like I love that song, uh, and I actually the the that al the album that that came from definitely not. I don't like it as much as Emotion, but that that the, the album uh, is is called This Kiss or it's something Kiss. Maybe it's just Kiss. Um, that's a that's a good album. Uh, it's got a, it's got a nice Sam Cooke sample on it. Um, but uh, but no matter how good her next album was gonna be most people were going to write her off as like oh she made that annoying song yep and they and they didn't even give it a chance yep happened happens time and the other time the other thing i love about carly ray jepson um one i like her music a lot two i like her writing a lot but the thing i like about carly ray jepson is that and maybe this is the canadian thing in her but she comports herself as a normal person like there, yeah. there is a there is a distinct that. lack of performative exhibition in her interviews. Where and look, everybody's code switching, and there's a kayfabe where you're just like, I'm approachable and normal. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm aware that that's a thing too. But with her, she's she's she very well could be playing the I'm a pop star card. She could be too cool for school. And she decidedly doesn't do that. And even if you look at like her romantic partners, most of them are just guys that she like connects with and finds common interests with. And then they date and then maybe it works out or maybe it doesn't. Like right now she's, she's dating a guy who produced a bunch of um, behind the scenes featurettes for like mid tier Seth Rogen comedies. Like, what Dave what Dave is trying to say is I kind of feel like Carly Rejepson if she just met me <laughs> you know me I feel like I feel like I, feel like I, feel I like have a chance <laughs> Look all I'm saying call is call me call me maybe No I'm saying that I I really respect the fact that she she could she could be attempting to play a game that she obviously has no interest in and that is very commendable to me, especially as a female artist where you're commodified and your sexuality is typically on display and marketed towards people. The fact that she is putting the work forward and um, choosing to take a different path, I think is, is very uh, commendable. She needs a sword though. You I mean- know, You guys know that meme? Yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also, she has the best bangs in the business. I'm yeah. just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, th that's true. There's no denying that. CRJ's BCB for life, baby. For Welcome life. Welcome to the first episode of the Carly Rae Jepsen Stan cast. I'm Dave Baker. Today we're going to be discussing <laughs> Carly Rae Jepsen's BCB. What are BCB? Well, blunt cut bangs, my friend. They're sweeping the nation. <laughs> All right. Uh, who went? Oh, it was Dave. Jeez, we yeah. talk a lot. Some um, annoying indie comic from the 2000s. What's <laughs> no, yours? No, what's yours? <laughs> yeah, what's up, Andrew? Yeah, what'd you um, bring? It's, it's funny that you brought up uh, video games or, or the idea of like a sort of reactionary rebellion in, in, in video games in the same way that that book or Cecil B. Demented or whatever. I don't know if, there, I don't know if that exists. I mean, I do know like back in that time, um, there were, you know, there was like the games like Postal, which was like, 
oh, specifically yeah. designed to yeah. be like fuck you. This yeah. is the most in this is the most Edgy. offensive shit you could ever see. Fuck you. Fuck censorship. Like like I guess that was what that was. Um but in a very much more ham-fisted and less interesting way. Mm-hmm. Um just just a really just overtly purposely offensive first-person shooter game. Um but I I my thing is I don't have anything tangible. Um I do have, I don't know if you want to even play these or what, but I, I have some some footage. But um, so the thing sure. I wanted to talk about was um, I, I thought of something that was not only highly nostalgic for me when I was growing up, but also like kind of a very useful tool that shaped a lot of my creativity and, uh, you know, was was there for me during a time when I was trying to get out a lot of creative ideas and didn't which, necessarily. Which version of nostalgic? The, the newer definition or the, the older one? <laughs> uh, d- definitely both. Both, like, okay. Both 100% or 50% each, I guess. Um, so uh, whenever I was a kid, I was really into making RPG Maker games. Um, and uh, so so RPG Maker was this, uh, this game that you could make games with. Um, and they had, they, they, there was like these really kind of dumbed down versions of them that had been imported that were on the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2. Uh, but they, they kind of sucked. Like they were just, they were very limited in what you could do. And they were essentially just gimmicks. Uh, but this company, uh, Interbrain, that had made these, they had, they had a PC version that was essentially just a fully featured game engine for making games without having to know any programming uh, or coding at all. And if you knew coding, you could actually go even deeper. Um, and they and they just had no interest in ever importing them. Uh, this was back in the late '90s, early 2000s, whenever there was still this huge division between uh, the Japanese and U.S. markets, and there was just all these different types of things that the Japan just didn't think that the the U.S. market would care about um, or understand. So they they never wanted to import this. But then this this random Russian guy named Don Miguel just. Uh, completely cracked it and released a, a, a an English translation online for free. And so whenever I was young, when I was like in, you know, middle, like late elementary school, middle school era age, um, this thing became huge where all, all kinds of kids were just getting this and making games. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's a PC, uh, it's, it's, it's PC software, it's called RPG Maker, and you can make games with it. You can make role role playing like turn based battle role playing games. Um, and essentially, the you know the type of game you could make it was very much like uh, the game Earthbound, mm-hmm. um, which is almost what I was going to bring to this. And then thinking about Earthbound made me re- remember this, and I thought this was kind of like more of an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, but what if we what if we combined Mersbow with Earthbound and made <laughs> Mersbound? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're you're He's literally making a good point. You're the literally speaking soundtrack my language. is just noise music. Ness is running yeah. around. <laughs> Honestly, that's not even far off from like some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I I I I made a lot of games with RPG Maker. This was a really useful tool for somebody who really wanted to tell stories and really wanted to make things that had narratives to them, but was kind of constrained by not knowing anybody else who was into the same kind of stuff and really not having like a whole lot of friends to actually like do things with. And, oh, my whole you know, childhood. I, cool. 
yeah, yeah a lot of people you know <laughs> A lot, a, lot, a lot of people I know, like, they have all these, you know, home movies of, like, shorts and sketches and things that they made with their friends whenever they were in, like, elementary school. And I just, I was just, I didn't have that. I didn't, I, nobody, I didn't have any, I didn't really have any friends at all, let alone friends who wanted to make weird uh, movies and stuff like that. Um, I just forced my little sisters into doing it. And then inevitably we would get, like, three hours into making something and I would make all these costumes out of, like, uh, paper mache and uh, and uh, tinfoil wrap. Like I made everybody wear these like Jory LaForge like visor glasses because I was obsessed with Jory LaForge. I don't even think I had actually ever seen Star Trek at that point, but I had just seen the visor that and visor. I was so into the visor. Iconic. And the, we made a movie called Little Joe where I made my middle sister be this like good, like a, like a mensch who was this, this like this like hobo mensch where she would like go around and she played this character named Little Joe and she would like help people out of these circumstances. And my mom was the cameraman and then I was the person in trouble who had cyborg parts, I guess, I don't know. But inevitably it would always be the same thing. We would shoot for like three hours and then she would lose her mind and and be really, really upset at me for something inconsequential. And she would run down the hallway of our house and then slam the door and say, I'm never working with you again. <laughs> that's like that's like student films in That's college. how Dave was blacklisted. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> your, your, your sister testified in front of a court of law to <laughs> that, yep. that you were and I really to answer the questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been or were you ever a member of the Little Joe Party? <laughs> uh, I, I kind of had a similar thing where, like, the closest I ever got to making, like, movies when I was a kid was, like, trying to make something with my cousin. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Also, a great Jordy LaForge visor, the plastic uh, little tray from uh, Lifesaver Gummies. Oh. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but she didn't also... fucking but she didn't think about that. <laughs> motherfucker. We also used uh, Maybe your sister would have stayed working with you if you had if you were having ideas like that. <laughs> if I would have actually put the work in. Yeah. Uh we also used, you know those like half circle uh hair fastener things? I don't even know what the fucking things called oh, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did that That's thing... like a perfect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would just put that over uh, over her face and then make a, t a tie out of uh, out of shoe shoelaces. Your sister uh, vowed to never do non-union shoots ever again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she, she was, was like done. meal penalty, meal penalty, <laughs> yeah, meal penalty. <laughs> now I used to. I I didn't really have friends that wanted uh, to really film with me. So I just when I was little, I used to just like give dialogue to uh my action figures and classic. have like see yeah very classic but then i would tape receipts to the wall and scroll down on the receipts to make my credits <laughs> nice <laughs> Wait, but did you change like, that's did you scroll right words there. on it did you put words on it or did you actually no. what is it just like french fries 299 <laughs> yeah no i i think i put like the title of whatever the title of my film was and on the top and then just whatever was left on the receipt, I just scrolled down like it could have oh, said. Oh man, that's so awesome! That's, weird, that's, that's exactly what I did for my senior thesis in my art class. No, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> that was um, I, I. I admired your choice. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Me and my dad made a, a home movie once. It's literally on the side of the VHS. The the thing that's written on it is literally just Hulk Home. 
uh, because we just used all my various Hulk action figures and made a Hulk made a new home. stories made a new story and I cameo as some uh, army sergeant on on a uh, <laughs> with uh, binoculars saying there there he is there's the Hulk. <laughs> um, Was this after Ang Lee's Hulk too? Uh, I th- yes, because the toys were from like the promotion yep. of that film, which. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, you guys have all these stories, and like famously, there's like you know the kid who like reshot Indiana Jones, and you know like the angry video game nerd. His whole thing was like he grew up like making those weird little movies and stuff like that. (laughs) I didn't have any of that, so what I did was I used RPG Maker to make games, and and the idea was like I mean I I loved video games and I loved RPGs you know in in the first place so you know i was i was i was huge into final fantasy and you know like my one of my favorite games of all time is chrono trigger Hell uh, yes. like earthbound and you know a lot of a lot of the like super nintendo and playstation 1 era like japanese role playing games um so there was that of just making making a final fantasy or whatever but also in reality it was a way to just make animated movies because mm-hmm you could use this to have sprites and you make them walk around and they can talk to each other and there's dialogue boxes and you can tell a story. And then there's also the interactive element of it just being a game and you can walk around and you can fight monsters and there's a battle system and stuff. Um, so that so I spent a lot of my young adulthood uh, just sitting in front of a computer making games. Uh, there was a really cool community. There, there was and is still a very cool community around RPG Maker. Um, and I, I remember when I was a kid, I was a part of like an RPG maker collective, uh, just a bunch of people who we had a website and it was like a bunch of different game makers and we all had our own games that we made. And it was funny cause I was kind of like the, I was kind of like the scrub, like they were like, you know, you're, you're showing potential kid. And like, yeah. they would kind of, they would kind of like criticize <laughs> my games and things like wing. that. Yeah. Um, but the, but uh, they, I mean, they actually, I mean, at the time, they actually made some really cool stuff. Uh, there was one of the guys, he made a game called Gar- Dark Tower, which was like a game of like, what if you were the villain? So it was a, it That's was an sick. RPG of like, what if you play, you were Ke- Kuja or Kefka or Sephiroth, like that type of character. What if you were that character? And it was all about being a villain That's um, awesome. and kind of seeing the story from that perspective. Like there was cool stuff like that. Um, there was, there was like really funny games. There was really serious games. There was like, because it was all these different creators making all this different stuff. And in the world of video games, it was like, it was like this outsider art community, which is why I loved it so much. Because once again, it was going back to this idea of a bunch of people who are not game designers. A lot of them are kids. They don't know how to make games. They don't know know how to program. All they have is this tool that they've been given that is just this weird Japanese program that was fan translated. And they're just telling stories and making weird stuff with it. And it was a really fun community to be a part of. And, you know, I made I made three games in my whole time of doing this, my whole phase of RPG Maker. I made a game that was kind of like an Earthbound ripoff. Uh, for, and for reasons that I cannot even begin to explain, the game was called Poop Sex. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, that will yes. sell. Yes. Yeah. Um, On name I made alone. A, I made a game that was a fantasy RPG adaptation of Seinfeld. So it was oh like, what goodness. if Se- what if Seinfeld was a fantasy role playing game? So you you, you play as Jerry Seinfeld and you go around and like all the like various quests were like 
vague recreations of episode premises and things Printing like that. Money. Printing um, money. Printing money. What's the deal with these ogres? <laughs> that's kind of what it was. I like literally there's dialogue in it that says something like that. Hey, Jerry, um, here's a quest for you. Yeah, and uh, and then and then the third game, I like Magnum Opus, which was like oh, I was no. gonna make an actual game. I was gonna make a game that was like literally like hours and hours long. Proof and I made like three. yeah, <laughs> I made I made like a I made like a demo of it. like I never I abandoned it. It never got finished, but it was supposed to be like this you know actual like twenty hour long epic fantasy uh, RPG, um, and it was called Mercenary Legacy X, and it was That's gonna be epic. like my. Final Fantasy. I, I oh, obviously I never finished it. I made like I made like fifteen minutes of it, um, and then the, and then RPG Maker kind of went on to shift in the later years into this like really cool avant garde art community. Like I kind of right rediscovered. Up your alley. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, read, I rediscovered RPG Maker like years later and had learned that like since I had last been into it. It had changed from a bunch of 12-year-olds making Final Fantasy ripoffs to, like, people making, like, weird, bizarre, like, art, like, art pieces within the, within the, within the, the, within the uh, construct of, 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 like, an RPG or with the tools that they could use. And there's a lot of really cool games that have these huge cult followings. There's, there's this game called Yume Niki, which is, like, a weird horror game about this little Japanese girl who like enters a dream world and she has to navigate through all these weird, bizarre levels that are kind of like just these strange, surreal worlds that are constructed out of all of this like pixel art. And it was created by this mysterious Japanese game designer who nobody knows his real identity and he made this game and this game became so popular that I like, smell a deep cuts episode. May, yeah, I mean that's definitely it's definitely it's definitely at the tip of my peripheral to do something in this about this whole thing. Um, I'm this, Dave Baker. <laughs> <laughs> there's a game. There's a game called Space Funeral, which is a which is like you play as like these names are you, so sick. Yeah, you play as a a 1930s baseball player, and your friend is just the legs of a horse, and you and you just travel around fighting all these really like abstract enemies. There's this game called Hylix, which is like this artist did all of the art for it, like in stop motion and like digitized it all and put it into RPG Maker. And it's just this really weird, surrealist, abstract world that I, I can't even, like you'd have to see it to like understand what I'm, I'm saying. But the, the it, it shifted into this really weird kind of like, like I was talking about before, this like outsider art community where people are making these really interesting things within the sort of confines of what RPG Maker is. And a lot of these games have grown, like have gained such cult followings that like Yume Nikki was actually like the, the rights to it were bought by this indie game company and then they remade it. And it's like on Steam, like you can play the like 3D remake of this game that was an RPG Maker game. That is sick. Um, and yeah, I'd I would, I would highly recommend checking out some of these games if you're into like weird avant-garde or like outsider art and if you like video games and if you like RPGs. And even if you know about RPG Maker and you remember playing it and you kind of moved away from it and you don't know that this whole thing sprung up, like you should look up some of these really weird RPG Maker games because uh, they're super interesting. Um, and yeah, it's like I said, it's like it's like the it's like video games version of outsider art. Like the, this is where that community lives, basically. That's so cool. That's yeah, awesome. I'm gonna have to check that out because it's always cool to see what 
it's like the legacy of something long gone like what's what's changed if, if the fact that it has, still has a living community is cool in itself we kind of yeah. haven't touched on that with bionicles like how like <laughs> yeah. people have like funny and but like actually serious like people have stayed with it for like years and they're still like making fan content making like fan films for writing it. original scripts writing for it's all their awesome content it's, it's so crazy. cool um but yeah yeah sure well we can do we'll do we'll do mine last mine is more of a <laughs> uh how much do you guys remember about um kind of like the early 2000s era of um marketing and how there used to always be like either a mascot um and how commercials were, and I feel like they were kind of, they were a big deal with their mascots till um, like 2000, like you know, like Chester Cheetah, and um, who else? There's a few. Um, like Petco, that or not Petco, that 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 commercials with the little puppet dog. Yeah. And, that would come up and uh, uh, well, and then there was like the, the Quiznos classic, hamsters or whatever. Yeah, or was it the Kia hamsters? Yeah. The, yep. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and like uh what else? Um or things like that uh Campbell's commercial where the can like follows someone um iconic. Follows someone home and like I think they still air it today every once in a while. Um well, I found um one that I completely forgot. It aired on I believe it started airing on Cartoon Network in 2003 or 4. Um, Noah, if you want to pull up the link. Do you have... It's, can you send those to me in the chat? Oh, yeah. I'll send you the chat. Link. I usually do that. Smash that link, bro. Smash, Smash that, that, link. that link. Smash that like button. Uh, uh, keep an eye out for my subs- next album, subscribe. Poop Sex. Hit the... <laughs> I will never ever be able to unthink the phrase "poop sex" now. <laughs> it's a, it's ingrained in here forever now. Um, the, but the I'm specifically things. talking about the Nestia Snowman. This is I, I don't know if this, you guys remember him. I, I I didn't remember it until I saw someone posted a clip of it, and I couldn't believe it was real. Um, but it would play at uh, Cartoon Network at like ten o'clock. And here's just a compilation of some. Oh of shit! I do remember this. Yep. <laughs> this this is so iconic to me. The, uh, the it's like, a snowman with a skeleton. Skeleton, yeah. The 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 like sensual nature of it. Oh like, yeah, it's no, so it's... sexually charged. I don't yeah, understand. The... I, it made me confused as a child. I was very. I was. Where's the one in the uh, laundromat? That's the one I want. There's one that's paired with um, Charlie's Angels. This with the one with. Uh, uh, I mean, I love the stop motion skeleton. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the animation I guess, I guess was actually CGI. sometimes stop motion and sometimes like early CGI. I can't tell. Oh, yeah, it's sick. This is the one I. I remember going into the theaters and like this would play before the movie. Like, I remember vividly watching this, and I was like confused and because I was Nestia like, only ran these for like uh, I think like three to four years, and that was it. So cool though, the animation is sick. <laughs> yeah, that that part where yep. he like, cool. yep, where he like I gives forgot, her the like, bra. How- so like so confusing. Like they to would me advertise that to kids too. Like it's so blatant. It's just funny. I, it feels like a whole different. I mean, it was a different era. It was a different time. 
Yeah, we weirdly sexualized iced tea commercials. Not a phrase you think you're going to say. <laughs> when you said that, I thought they were Coca-Cola commercials. For some reason, as a kid, to me, they were Coca-Cola commercials. But this, I guess they were... Uh, they kind of feel like Coca-Colas, because like, they... Product, like they advertise it being fresh, cool, cool. Yeah. I mean, Coca Cola would never be that sexy. True, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> they would have some. Oh, by bears. the way, this this podcast is brought to you by Nestia. Yep. Um, <laughs> we- <laughs> you guys, you guys signed back the ice cool. Contract. You guys signed the contract up top, right? The, yeah. Did you see the little waiver? The NDA. We yeah. Sent you? Yep. 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 Cool. Um, what's this? <laughs> what's this next? Nestia, fuck a snowman. If you use the code, let's look back. You'll get. 30 days worth of Nestia snowman. I lo- what is this little picture? Oh, that's just, that was just a, because I couldn't find a wiki for it or anything. So I only found this fucking WordPress article or blog. And if, yeah, it's really the only picture. Nestia snowman fan who just kept, kept the spirit alive for years. Yeah, like one this is the version of, just. This is the version of the Andrew WK and Steve Mike information page. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I love, I love this guy. But yeah, that's that's so like that encapsulates just like a moment in time for me. Like I said, like walking into a theater and seeing the advertisements play beforehand and watching yeah that and like sitting with my dad and feeling uncomfortable that I was watching a, a stop motion snowman pick up a girl's bra and give it to her. I was just like, what is this? Why do I feel strange? What is going on? What is yeah. this tightness? What is happening? Why do I wanna, suddenly want to buy a Nestia? Yeah, what's Ooh. happening? Can I buy? Can I buy that? Um, the animation so of it, the animation of it, and the design of it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, uh, Grim Fandango, which is a late '90s point-and-click adventure game. Uh, which I'll, actually, I almost, I almost uh, use that as my thing. Um, I was going to talk about point-and-clicks. Uh, but then I decided on RPG Maker. But is it point and clicks or points and click? Uh, point and clicks. They're, yeah, point, point but, and but, clicks. But are you sure it's not points and click? Get it right, Dave. It's click. I feel like it could be clicks. points and click. <laughs> click. Click starring Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's actually what it is. Um, I, there's got to be... I know it's in here somewhere. Let me find this. What do you Table think? Is Nestia still a thing? Or is that... Yeah, Nestia still... But they, like, completely rebranded. They're, like... They were like, fuck the sexual snowman. We're getting away from that. <laughs> we're getting rid of... It's now, it's now just like a talking, like, MAGA hat. That's their, <laughs> that's their, new, that's their new fucking flagship uh, mascot. <laughs> hey, kids. <laughs> oh, my God. Kids, we're here to quench your thirst. <laughs> it's amazing. It's tremendous thirst quenching. Tremendous. Wow. <laughs> Talking and then about. Trump, Trump's face also melts off, and then yeah, <laughs> Trump's Trump's face melts, but then underneath it's just a stack of MAGA hats. <laughs> Here we go, walking MAGA hats. What? Oh that? yeah, oh, yeah, 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 totally, yeah, yeah. That's that's immediately oh, yeah. what it reminded me of. Um, is the the character design of that, which is like. It's it, it's patterned after like like Day of the Dead type art. Oh think, yeah, yeah. It seemed it seemed like they were speaking Spanish in those commercials. So they did a, um, a lot of those commercials aired in Brazil um, mm. first, 
and then they uh, started um, broadcasting them in the U.S. So they, uh, yeah, they definitely had some inspiration. But um, interesting. Yeah, I just wanted to pick your brain at the the simplicity of uh, early two thousands uh, brand marketing. It felt like I feel like now. Brands have to try. Well, depending on what brand it is, brand it is, I guess you have to try a little bit harder to not be so obvious with your marketing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, um, it, it's that, but it's also there has to be like this metatextual element to it. It always has to be like a wink, nudge. Like we know this is an ad. You know this is an ad. Let's we 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 know what we're doing here. We know what you like. It's like that kind of weird relationship. Yeah, where you this you don't is... like watching ads, but we're making an ad, and you're gonna watch the ad. <laughs> so we're gonna try and make it as good as we can, and you're gonna probably buy the thing that we're advertising, even though you don't want it. But hey, it's an ad. Let's do it. Where, whereas yeah. this era was like, you're dumb. Buy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we actually talked about that on on the Andrew WK episode. The idea oh, really? in the the late '90s and the early 2000s, pop culture kind of went into this weird thing of just like very hyper sexualized. Mm-hmm. Every, everything became oh, very yeah. like surface level. We we kind of like stopped evolving culturally in in our media, and it was all like movies and car- commercials and music that was all just capitalizing capitalizing off of like look at how hot everybody is. And, <laughs> And then, well, and then I mean, like it stayed like this for years, like yeah, into the 2000s. Like you said, yeah. it was like stagnant for, for I think probably till two thousand eight nine. It felt like yeah. it was this this stuff all the time. The economic crisis was like, all right, nobody's sexy anymore. <laughs> real everybody it is not sexy. Nobody's <laughs> sexy. Sexy's dead. <laughs> Let's get serious, everyone. <laughs> sexy went down with the housing market. We're, we're, we're changing things up. <laughs> oh gosh. I think I think I think uh, I think that sexy snowman made Dave uncomfortable. I don't know. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. We didn't have a. You must have given him the uh, the cold shoulder or something. Oh, oh, no! You're fired. You're fired. Get off the show. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, is that is that all you had for that's, that's that all beautiful I have for, for snowman? Yeah, just wanted to talk about the sexiness of snowman. Well, this has been quite lovely this has been a dream come true um yeah this has been really really great <laughs> um so thank you guys so much for joining us i feel like you guys fit right in with our strange little show um i hope that all of our friends watching check out deep cuts um what uh uh plug plug your stuff what what do you want people to uh how do you want people to interact with your stuff I, I guess I have to go first because I always go first on the show, right? Um, yeah, yeah uh, you can find uh, my comics at heydavebaker.com. Uh, comics like uh, Fuck Off Squad, Action Hospital, and Shitty Watchmen. Um, uh, if you want to see lots of time lapses of me drawing and or in-progress pages for the book that I'm working on right now, uh, Mary Tyler Moorhawk, you can follow me on the Shermstagerms at xdavebakerx. Andrew? Uh, you can, you can find me at, uh, dapricerights.com, which, uh, true story up until a certain point was a fake Cape Fabe website that I made up and then eventually Dave and then one of our other listeners 
convinced me to make it into a real website. And now you can actually go there. It's not just a joke uh, 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 goose chase. Um, you can go there. You can buy my comic. The cave um, has been lifted. Yep, and you and you and you also just you know like yeah, listen to deep cuts, but also you can follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod, uh, and more importantly, follow us on Facebook, the the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook page. We we do a lot of cool uh, videos where we basically look at a bunch of old footage of stuff from the past, whether it's like old weird bootleg Japanese movies or like strange footage from the news or. Uh, just weird shit that happened on a game show one time um, and we kind of watch it and react to it and we put out these kind of like informative videos where you're kind of watching the video, the footage but then we're also kind of like giving you a backstory behind it. Um, it's kind of like a the- mini condensed version so if you don't want to sit through five hours of us talking about Andrew WK you can watch us for like two minutes talk about something <laughs> weird. Um but yeah, they're they're really fun. Also, the the Facebook group, uh, the Facebook Facebook group, which uh, you both should come hang out in, is really fun. I'm in uh, there. At, when all the episodes go up, there's lots of group discussion. Lots of man, this is this is fucking nuts. <laughs> and lots of uh, yeah, lots I think of people. You guys, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we talk we talk to you guys through through Instagram, but that's really kind of like Instagram has kind of been a little bit of a newer thing that we've started. That mm-hmm. yeah kind of hasn't taken off yet but uh it's really popping over on facebook get, mm-hmm. you get in that facebook group we got people talking about like post-mortems on episodes and sharing you know ideas for new episodes some of the episodes we've done have actually been fan suggestions and yeah oh, we'll, yeah. yeah one of the we'll make the, an appearance that's for sure I'll go go ahead and join i'm in yeah. that group man I'm it's a, it's a good time. time and by good time i mean lots of people not having a toxic facebook group I everyone's very that. nice in our group I appreciate it's the only, it's the only, it's only non-toxic down. Facebook group group on the entire Facebook even even the Phoebe Bridgers Facebook group I'm in has turned toxic <laughs> but never the Stream Deep Cuts Punisher. Facebook group Stream Punisher yeah. now not my Deep Cuts yeah baby it's Halloween no I don't think so baby it's we're gonna all fight about Phoebe Bridgers that's what <laughs> it is yep um, but yeah thank you guys so much uh, this has been wonderful. Uh, we, I, I don't even know what we normally say to end the show. Um, but Dave, can you take it out by doing a uh, lovely impression of Casey Kasem? That is my favorite impression that you do. Can you please, can you please uh, do something to end the show? Just wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me, let me, dir- let me direct this. So okay. Dave, start by doing a Rod Serling. Do your Rod Serling. Um, say say uh, subscribe to Let's Look Back on Spotify and YouTube. <laughs> You're looking down. Oh shit! It's it's. <laughs> it's hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I gotta not I, smile. I gotta stop. I can't. I, get, I can't. I can't smile while I'm doing it, or else I fuck it up. Hold on. Yeah, Rod Serling never smiles. No, Rod Rod Serling never smiles. He, you're looking down a dark hallway. In that hallway, you see a subscribe button. You smash that subscribe button. And then you are delivered delightful content every week. And this place that you have just entered is the Let's Look Back Zone. Now drink four martinis. I'm Gagey Gagey, and I just subscribe to Let's Look Back. Okay.
each coming in at number 29 and number 30 on the top 10 podcasts that you should be listening to. All right, now drink eight ounces of water for the next four hours on the hour. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm Noah. That's Tennyson. Thank, Thank you, you again. So, Thank, Thank you guys you. so much. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>